test my My hidden treasure chest Golden grand piano My beauty focus me on you Ooh, you Ooh, I leave it all My acres of a land I achieve It may be hard for you to Stop and believe But for you DraftTV.com. I know I always start these shows off by saying we have something fun planned for you, but I especially mean it this time around. It's one of our favorite shows to do. It's always one of the most popular episodes we do throughout the year. It's the live mock draft. Uh, The draft is less than a couple of weeks away. I think the picture's starting to become clear, but uh, these are always really fun exercises. We go pick through pick through the entire first round, take turns making selections. We we give some feedback. and uh, it, it, it's really a great way to kind of examine potential scenarios and, and how the draft might unfold. And, and as always, I, I want to remind everybody that we're drafting based on what we think the teams will do, not necessarily what we think they should do. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not. But, but the, the overriding factor is what we think the teams will actually do in the 2015 NFL draft. And, of course, we need a third person for this. So we reached out to our old friend Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com, who agreed to join us. Charlie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Always great to be with you. Well, thank you so much, and let's just get right into it. Uh, it's, these shows are usually a, a little long, but uh, people don't seem to mind too terribly much because they're so much fun. And uh, you start off, uh, our guest has the first pick, and he'll be representing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Charlie, which way are the Bucks going to go? With the first pick, the Bucks uh, are going to go with Jameis Winston, the quarterback from Florida State. It's the really the slam dunk pick for Tampa Bay. I know – from speaking with sources there that he graded out ahead of Matthew Stafford, Sam Bradford, and Cam Newton uh, when they were the first picks uh, in their draft classes and, and the Bucks rate Winston ahead of all of those guys. Uh, the only questions were the off the field, but he's done well in the meetings. He's really impressed teams, including Tampa Bay, with his football IQ his family has gotten to know the Bucks staff. They've gotten to know his family. His parents, Lovey Smith, has uh, developed a relationship with them. So the comfort level has been established, and I think any other pick would be a jaw-dropping shock of epic draft history. So I, I really firmly believe that Tampa Bay is going with Winston. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and and if they're comfortable with Jameis Winston as a person, I think it's a really easy decision. Uh, it probably didn't take them too long to decide. Now, just playing Deadville's advocate, the only thing I would say is 
uh, and, and Winston's off the field issues are well documented. And I just think back to last year, the quarterbacks that the Buccaneers and Lovey Smith were showing interest in Bridgewater, Derek Carr, couple of really high intangibles guys. So, so just playing devil's advocate, I wonder if that, if, if, if they did get scared off by Winston, maybe that would push them a little bit towards Mariota. But, but like I say, I, I think it's going to be Winston. Do you think there's any chance that happens? Uh, I, I know this, the, the, the recent lawsuit, Charlie came out, uh, the woman that accused Jameis Winston of sexual assault recently filed a, a civil lawsuit, but I don't think that's going to affect their decision. They had to have known that was coming. It was just a matter of when, and I'm sure they had already factored that into their decision-making process, right? Yeah, definitely, and and that's been known for for quite a long time, dating back to uh, you know during last season and and whatnot. So uh, before the draft order was even known, teams had an idea that this was uh, coming down the pipe at some point. So uh, I don't think that's going to have any bearing. But but I agree with you, Scott. You know the Mariota uh, off the field part really works in his favor but uh at the same time i think when you talk with people at florida state uh, i've spoken with professors there and they have nothing but nice things to say about Jameis. and the football and baseball coaches all have said he did everything asked of them asked of him and he was a good teammate to his uh, teammates and he was a leader in the locker room so I think that from what they needed to hear and what they needed to see, those boxes were checked off. Uh, Shane, uh, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, do you have any? Uh, you want to make a case for the Buccaneers going in any different direction than Jameis Winston at number one? Nope. That, <laughs> I think that's what they're going to do. I think Charlie <laughs> hit the nail on the head. There's not, not too much to say at this point. It's, it's been talked to death. All right, so let's move on then. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are at number two, and I have that pick. And I, I've, I've gone back and forth on this between trying to – because I think somebody's going to trade up for Marcus Mariota. I, I feel very confident. It's just a matter of who and where. And I, I think the Tennessee Titans are trying to – make it look as if they might legitimately take Mariota at two, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that uh, he's just not a fit for what Ken Wisenhunt wants to do at that position, and I think it's a little bit of gamesmanship on their part trying to elicit some trade offers, but if you're a team that is of the same mind as me and you don't think Tennessee's taking Mariota, well, Jacksonville's not taking him at three, Oakland's not taking Mariota at four, it's a lot cheaper to trade up to number five than it is to number two. So it's really a, a tough situation. And I don't think Marcus Mariota is going to end up with the Tennessee Titans, but for the, for the sake of the rest of this mock draft, I'm going to go with Mariota here because I think there's a really good chance he's going to be the number two overall pick. And, and if I don't take him, I think it's going to screw up everything right on down the line. So I don't necessarily, I don't believe he's going to end up as a Tennessee Titan, but I think he's going to end up as a number two overall pick. So I'm going to take Marcus Mariota, quarterback from Oregon, with that caveat because, like I said, if I went another direction, I think it would have just had a ripple effect and, and kind of ruined the rest of this exercise. Shane? I think it's interesting to look at this kind of both ways. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that the Tennessee Titans are going to take Marcus Mariota, and he's, but he, it's, he very possibly could be the number two pick. But what if, what if they can't? What if, as you said, Scott, it's going to be cheaper to to trade up the three or four or five, and the Titans still are asking too much? Maybe, maybe for some reason they they don't see that. Um, I think it's interesting to see where they'll go. But it, it seems like everything is set up for Tennessee to move down to a team that wants to take Mariota. Um, I would imagine that they're going to take less 
value to do it. And now with the rumors of the Chargers and Phillip Rivers being united with, with Wisenhunt and you have teams like the Browns with two first-round picks, uh, there's just so many possibilities for them. It, it seems like this is setting up for someone to move up to this spot. So probably for the sake of our mock, it's good to have Marcus Mariota going here and we can see how everything else falls. Is That's really what a mock draft is meant to do is to see these different scenarios play out. And this seems like the most likely one. Well, and, and the thing with Marcus Mariota, too, is, is no team is going to trade up until they're sure he's on the clock. I think they're going to want to make absolute sure the Buccaneers don't take him at number one. So that's real bad news for people like us who are trying to do a final mock draft, trying to get a read on where to place Mariota. Because like I said, I don't know if it's a matter of if, but more so who and where. So uh, I, I think that's like the $64,000 question with the 2015 NFL draft right now, especially the top five to 10, because in my opinion, once you slot Mariota, I think the other pieces kind of start falling into place. But Charlie, what do you think? Do you have any kind of read on, on who it might be? Or maybe you disagree. Maybe you think he's going to go to the Titans, but otherwise, who do you think? Jets, uh, Browns, what, Bears, Chargers? Yeah, what, I mean, from what I've heard, the, uh, the Titans have some kind of internal debate on it. They have some people on the team the, in the organization that are big fans of Mariota and believe in him as the future franchise quarterback, and then others uh, don't. They don't feel that way at all. So I've heard that they kind of have an internal conflict there in terms of what they would do at number two. So I think in some ways a trade really makes sense for them uh, for the reasons you guys outlined. But uh, just to, you know, if they, if not the, if the entire organization isn't sold on a quarterback at number two, that makes it pretty precarious to take that guy there and make that commitment. So I think a trade does make a lot of sense. San Diego, Cleveland, I think those uh, are going to be some prime teams to keep an eye on. Let's just talk briefly about the the San Diego Philip Rivers uh, situation there, because I understand why the Titans would do that, but to me that would seem like a short-sighted move. Uh, I don't know that I want to trade a 21-year-old potential franchise quarterback for a 32-year-old very good quarterback, but I don't know that Phillip Rivers is helping the Tennessee Titans win the Super Bowl in the next couple, three years. It's going to make Ken Wisenhunt look better in the short run and make him happy, but I always say quarterbacks are a dime a dozen. Franchise, or excuse me, coaches are a dime a dozen. Franchise quarterbacks are quite possibly the rarest and most valuable commodity in all of sports. So if I were owner of the Tennessee Titans, I think this is a situation where somebody needs to step in and say, Coach, we understand that you like Rivers and, and you're, you're trying to win right now, but we need to do it to the best long-term interest of this organization. I just... I, I just would have a hard time passing on Mariota if I was the Titans. And, and it's not like I'm the biggest Mariota supporter in the world. I have as many question marks about him as anybody. But uh, after Winston, especially in this class, where it just kind of drops off a cliff after those top two, I'd rather roll the dice on Mariota. Uh, so, uh, Shane, what, what are your thoughts on, on uh, if a Rivers deal comes to fruition? Who, who would you like that deal most for? I would – Probably still like it for for Tennessee. I think it would depend what else, because I don't think you're, as you kind of indicated, Scott, I don't think you're going to trade number two straight up for him. Maybe you're going to get San Diego's number 17 and move down those 15 spots. And I I think I kind of have the same argument for why I like it for Tennessee is that 
franchise quarterbacks don't come around so often, and we at least know Philip Rivers is a pretty darn good one and, and could be one. I think Marcus Mariota, there's, there's still some question marks. Maybe it is a little bit short-sighted for the Tennessee Titans, but uh, it, is, it is a franchise quarterback that you're, you're getting – relatively cheap if you can keep a still keep a mid first round pick and move down from number two i think it'd be a pretty good deal charlie what do you think is the best course of action for the titans you think they should select Mariota, or if they do trade down what do you think the best deal out there for them i think the best deal would really be the, a deal with cleveland to get both of those first rounders where they could look to address say a cornerback and a right tackle uh, if they were going to move down. I, I think I completely agree with you, Scott, that I think the Rivers trade would be short-sighted. I mean, by the time the Titans got the rest of the roster really ready to make a push in the playoffs, I mean, Rivers might be done, you know, or he might be on his way out at that point, given his age. So I think that that's kind of a deal you make if you feel like you're on the brink, you know, and a quarterback is the one thing missing, almost like Houston. You know, I think it would make more sense uh, in the division if Houston were to trade uh, for Phillip Rivers rather than Tennessee. So I I think that that would be short-sighted. I think that you'd be giving up a potential franchise quarterback for an aging one, and in the long run that could come back to bite you. But, if, if, uh, boy, if you're the Chargers and if Philip Rivers is going to force their hands and make them deal him, this would be a best possible scenario because not only is, is Mariota extremely talented with a lot of potential, but also exactly what that organization looks for in terms of the intangibles. I think San Diego probably covets intangibles as much as any organi- organization in the league right now. So uh, it, that seems like, seems like a perfect match. It's just a matter of, uh, like, like Shane said, what would it be? It would obviously be number 17 and Rivers and how much more than that. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch. But uh, let's move on, Shane. You are up at number three with the Jacksonville Jaguars and have an interesting decision to make on defense, I think. Uh, always an interesting decision. Jacksonville doesn't always go the the way that everyone thinks they're going to go. I think Blake Bortles last year described that. But when you look at their roster, even with a decent amount of team sacks last year, that they just don't have that that Leo edge pass rusher that this defense really needs. I mean, Chris Clemens uh, at this point is 33 years old, and he's close to being done. And it, it seems like uh, Coach Gus Bradley really likes him and probably wants someone in that similar mold that's much younger that he can bring along and do well with. So it comes down to which which edge rusher do you want. Uh, and, and to me, I, I'm considering two guys. I think Dante Fowler out of out of Florida is is probably the safer choice. Maybe doesn't have as much upside. Or Vic Beasley from Clemson has that great first step in anticipation and has the upside. I I think Jacksonville has shown a propensity in the past couple years to swing for the fences a little bit. Um, and and I think Vic Beasley just fits this defense a little bit more than what Gus Bradley is going going to want to do. So I'm going to take Vic Beasley. Uh, edge pass rusher out of Clemson here. And if this is the way the draft shakes out, I think this is going to be a really interesting decision for the Jaguars and and, and maybe a, a, a perfect example of talent versus need because I, I don't know how you make a case for Dante Fowler being a better player than Leonard Williams, but an edge pass rusher is more of a need for them than a, another solid defense, a really good defensive lineman. So I, I think they might lean towards Fowler as well if they if they're faced with this 
this choice. And uh, personally, I would go Williams. Uh, I, I just think he's a superior prospect to Fowler, who I, I think Fowler's a little overrated personally. So maybe that plays into it a little bit as well. But Charlie, what, what do you think about this situation? What do you think the Jaguars would do? Williams, Fowler, other? Yeah, I agree with uh, with Shane that it better come down to an edge rusher because that's where the need lies. And if you look at their actions in free agency, they did a lot on the defensive line and gave big money to Jared Odrick. You had Roy Miller, Alualu, Ziggy Hood, all brought back, and Derek Marks was the best player on their defense last year. They have all those guys coming back, and I think uh, really the edge is where they're going to need a player. Uh, also, I think with Leonard Williams, the thing to keep in mind is that Gus Bradley – and uh, the defensive line coach Todd Walsh are both uh, Monty Kiffin disciples. They came up under Kiffin uh, in Tampa Bay, and Williams, you know, overlapped with Kiffin at USC. So I think the fact that they were aggressive at filling that those defensive line needs in free agency kind of says something there. And I think that uh, Beasley would make sense for the Jags. They had him in for a visit this past week. Uh, I think what I was talking with some league sources about him and they compared him to Bruce Irvin. And I think you see that history there with Gus Bradley being at Seattle when they drafted Irvin. So uh, I think Fowler or Beasley would make sense for them. And I really think it, it, either way, they're going to come away with a good edge rusher out of those two. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the debate. And sorry I misspoke earlier. I, I, I have Fowler on my brain. I guess if it were me, I would have sided a little more towards Fowler for the Jaguars. But uh, I, I think Fowler would be the safer option, whereas Beasley maybe has more dynamic potential and could maybe has a chance to be more of a an impact difference maker. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. But I don't. I just don't know that I would feel comfortable taking any of these pass rushers at three. I don't know if any of these guys – are worth a top three overall pick. I think they all have potential warts. Uh, I guess I'd feel the most comfortable with Fowler just because I think he's the safest of the group. But honestly, if I was looking for a pass rusher, I'd rather move down a half a dozen spots and target Bud Dupree. To me, there's not a whole lot difference between Bud Dupree and, uh, and say, Dante Fowler or, or even Vic Beasley. I'm I, I just not sure I love that value for a pass rusher at number three overall, whereas Leonard Williams, I, I think he's a, I, the only player in this class I gave my elite five-star grade to. Um, so, so let's just do, do this quickly. Uh, Shane and Charlie, uh, Shane, you can go first. It, do you think a pass rusher is worth a top three overall pick in this class? I I don't. If you want to take it in a vacuum, I, not against the rest of this class, and just say, are any of these guys, would I feel comfortable taking them in the top three uh, looking at past drafts? I don't think I, that I would. I mean, I, I'm with you. I've learned Williams is the best player in this draft, but I, I don't think it's what Jacksonville needs, as Charlie pointed out. And I think Vic Beasley could be really good. I think there's a lot of downside with him. I think Dante Fowler can be good, but I don't think there's this huge upside with him. So to me, they seem more like bottom end of the top 10 guys instead of top three picks. Charlie, let's get you to weigh in. Do you think there's an edge pass rusher worthy of a top three overall pick? Yeah, I think ideally you, you hit the nail on the head that you move down and draw on a strength in this, you know, top half of the first round, and you could look at Dupree or Shane Ray, or if you drop even lower, Randy Gregory, uh, Eli Harold. You know, there's a lot of guys in the first round that could fill that need for them. So if they could move down, I think that would be 
ideal for the Jags. It's just a question of, you know, finding that trade partner and someone that's going to be willing to move up there. I think they have to hope that someone will want Amari Cooper or Kevin White enough to jump in front of the Raiders to make sure that they get that receiver. I think that's where uh, the Jags' trade hope has to lie. Well, that's a perfect segue because, Charlie, you are up on the clock next with the Oakland Raiders. And an interesting decision to make. You mentioned the wide receivers, but, boy, a local guy, Leonard Williams, the maybe the blue-chip defensive lineman they're looking for is still on the board. He's made it pretty clear that he would love to be an Oakland Raider. Would they love to have him? You know, I think I think they would love to have him, but I think they're going to err on the side of getting Derek Carr uh, something to work with, and I think they would go with Amari Cooper, the wide receiver from Alabama. I think they they have to have Carr pan out in order for them to make it to the playoffs. He had an excellent rookie year. I think changing offensive scheme for him was a mistake, but they really don't have anything at the wide receiver position. I think they they have better assets. Uh, in their front seven on defense, which isn't saying much because they have needs there as well. Uh, But their receivers are really awful, and they have to get someone that can get open for Carr consistently, especially on third downs, to move the chains. And I think Cooper is that perfect guy to pair with him. That's interesting, and I tell you what, if the Oakland Raiders pass on Leonard Williams, I'm going to give them the business on draft day because I I just think Leonard Williams is exactly the type of blue-chip cornerstone that that team needs. Um, uh, But but it's hard to fault them for wanting to surround Carr with uh, playmakers as well. I just think they could get a pass catcher in the second round at at 35 overall. I think there's going to be plenty of value and depth, not only in the second round, in the third round at wide receiver. I would lean toward Leonard Williams there, but I wouldn't be shocked if they go for a wide out. And I could understand it. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but I could understand it. Shane, what do you think? You think uh, they'd go for a wide out over Leonard Williams there? Ooh, I, I think they could. I don't know if, if, if I could do it. I think I would want to take Leonard Williams as they just have so many needs. And I'm kind of with you, Scott, but um, – this, this is exactly why we do this is what teams will do and not maybe what they should do because it, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Amari Cooper's a great player. Right? He's, he's still extremely young, and they need that number one true wide out. But uh, I, I'm just – I don't know if, if, if Oakland um, – you'd have to look at the whole draft, and if, if you're a team that needs a receiver and there's a stud defensive lineman sitting on the board, uh, you can, you can get, take two receivers later and take Leonard Williams now. So I think this would be such an interesting conundrum and such a big pick for the franchise at number four. Do you make the choice to go with, with a potential elite young receiver or do you go with uh, probably the safer route and get an elite defensive lineman? I would take Leonard Williams here, but it wouldn't surprise me if Oakland went the other way. Yeah, Charlie, I, last, I think, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And I think in terms of if you look at their picks as a package deal, uh, you'd probably get better value going with Leonard Williams and then a receiver, whether it's, uh, you know, Devin Smith or Philip Dorsett or Sammy Coates or, you know, whoever, Nelson Aguilar, you could end up with a really nice receiver there early in the second round. So I think that strategy makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I was really torn on it, and I think that just at the end of the day, they're probably going to lean towards the importance of the quarterback, uh, and, and that's going to be where they kind of break towards the receiver. 
last question on that one, Charlie. What led you to give the edge to Amari Cooper over Kevin White from West Virginia? Do you think he's a better fit? Do you have an inclination that that's the, their preference, or was that just your preference? Yeah, I think that it, he's a better fit for Derek Carr looking at uh, what Carr did last year and the West Coast system. I think that uh, he's he's a little bit better fit for them, but I don't think you can go wrong with either one. I think that both of them would be an excellent choice uh, for any team looking to get a receiver. So uh, I, I, in speaking with teams, I feel that it's just general sound. They have Cooper slightly ahead of White, but uh, not by much at all. All right. So I'm up next then at number five with Washington and a, a situation I wasn't necessarily anticipating uh, with Leonard Williams still on the board and their new GM, Scott McLuhan, has, has made, a, made a case like, like all teams do about they're going to be taking the best player available. And uh, I, I think we'd really be putting McLuhan uh, to the test to see if he's a man of his word uh, if Leonard Williams is available. And I think this is the trade spot, especially, like I said, if Mariota doesn't go to the Titans, I think this is the most logical spot for somebody that wants to trade up for him. But seeing as how Mariota's off the board, I'm going to go best player available. I'm going to take Leonard Williams' defensive line from USC, and uh, I'm not overly enthused about it because I know they went out and they resigned, or they signed in free agency Stephen Paya, Ricky Jean, uh, Jean-Francois, but Jason Hatcher is going to be 33 years old. And, and if, if, if McLuhan is true to his word, as I say, that, that they're just looking for the best player available, I think Williams would be the fit. And, and I, I think they've done a good job in free agency addressing some of their holes, whether it be in the secondary, the defensive line. Uh, they still need a pass rusher, so that that would have been my plan B here if Williams wasn't available. Maybe a blocker, but I don't know that they're absolutely desperate. They have to do one thing over the other, and the best player in the draft falls to them at a five. I don't know how they could pass. So I'm going to go with Leonard Williams, a defensive lineman from USC here. Shane? I, I think it's a great pick. I, I know that it might not be the biggest need for them, but I, I don't think it's a position that's that's necessarily bustling with overwhelming talent. I think they have a lot of good second-tier players, Ricky Jean-Francois, Ampaya, et cetera, as you mentioned. But uh, I think you can move those those guys around. Uh, it's a good position to have depth at, and Leonard Williams could be such a difference maker that you can find a way to, to get him involved. Maybe you can have some looks with four defensive linemen. Uh, you can really adapt this defense, uh, Joe Barry's defense, around him and and what they have right now in the cupboard. So uh, if that's going to be your strength, you make a strong defensive line, similar to what the Jets did a couple years ago uh, you know, with Sheldon Richardson and the like, and, you can, and Muhammad Wilkerson, you can build a strong defensive line and build your defense around it. Charlie, what are your thoughts on Washington and, and what their game plan might be at number five? Yeah, I think this would really make sense for them to go with Leonard Williams because, you know, Jason Hatcher is 33 years old. He had a good season, but he had a lot of nagging knee injuries, and, uh, you know, those aren't going to really go away as he ages further. Joe Barry has a big history at USC uh, playing there and coaching there, and I could definitely see him loving Leonard Williams just in terms of a scheme fit because they can use him as a 3-4 defensive end, be an impact player there, and also Williams can play the 4-3 and play the Tampa 2 like he did for Monty Kiffin as a freshman. Uh, you can move him from end to three technique there. 
and just move him around and try and isolate him against weak offensive linemen and cause disruption and have Kerrigan and Trent Murphy, you know, hunt down the quarterback with them. And I think that Leonard Williams would be a really nice fit uh, for the Redskins. Well, and and that's the thing. While pass rusher is is a concern, it's not like the cupboard is completely bare. They still have Ryan Kerrigan, and they used their top pick early in the second round last year on Trent Murphy. So um, I I think that gives them a little flexibility, especially if a guy like Williams uh, falls into their laps. Uh, Shane, you are up next at number six with the New York Jets. I think this is the real-life scenario for the Jets, unless unless they're heavily looking for for Marcus Mariota, which I don't know if that's the case. Then this is a nice, kind of a nice setup with uh, with a wide receiver going in in the the top five and only one pass rusher going in the top five. That remains to be one of the Jets' biggest needs is to look for someone to to eventually take that place opposite of Quinn Copels, who who hasn't exactly been the best. And right now, Calvin Pace is 34 years old, who they brought in. That I think pass rush is a big concern. Um, you know, I, I look kind of past that at what other positions maybe they could look to the offensive line. We could see the first offensive lineman come off the board here. Maybe a wide receiver uh, is, could be good value for a Kevin White. But bringing in Brandon Marshall, I feel like it's something they can address later. And, and the pass rusher, just such a glaring need and, and good, I think, solid value for what's left on the board. So I'm going to take a player that I think very easily could go number two overall. And for the New York Jets, I'm going to select Dante Fowler, linebacker out of Florida. I think that's a really good fit. I, I think this is probably the worst-case scenario for Fowler. I think he goes somewhere in that two to six range, and I think the Jets would be overjoyed if he fell into their laps. Uh, he's a, a perfect fit for that defense, exactly what they need as a, a replacement for Calvin Pace. And, and, and even if he's gone, I think Bud Dupree from Kentucky would be in the mix there, Vic Beasley from Clemson. Um, so I, I think the Jets are, are going to be zeroing in on a pass rusher there at number six. It's just a matter of which one. And in this scenario, I think Fowler would be a, a pretty easy choice for them. Uh, Charlie, you agree with Fowler and or a pass rusher to the Jets at six, or you think they might be looking in another direction? I do. I, I think that that's the most likely place they're going to go with that pick. I think uh, a couple dark horse options would be um, offensive tackle. They've shown a lot of interest in the early round offensive tackle, so maybe they're doing that in part on a trade down uh, thought basis. But DeBrickashaw uh, Ferguson's no spring chicken, and they could upgrade the right tackle spot uh, with a rookie and then eventually, you know, have them replace Ferguson. So I think that would be a dark horse, but more of a trade down option if someone gives the Jets a really good deal and uh, they look to move down, and then they kind of opens up their options as to what they would do later. All right, let's move on to the Chicago Bears at number seven. Charlie, you have this pick, and and this is another situation, I think, where the Bears – based on what they've done already this offseason, I think they've given themselves some options. They're not necessarily locked into having to address one specific need. So what direction do you think the Bears would go in this scenario? I think in the way this has played out, the Bears would go with uh, Kevin White. And I think that uh, they get you know a receiver that replaces what they lost in Brandon Marshall, a, a player with size and speed, uh, just like Marshall had, but without some of the locker room issues and a player that's gotten really good uh, character and work uh, reports in from scouts. So 
I think that in this way, in this mock, that it makes complete sense for the Bears to go with Kevin White, and I think he's going to come in and, and be that other receiver across from Alshon Jeffrey and really give them something to work with in the passing game. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think if White or Cooper are available for the Bears at seven, I think that might be uh, the match, and especially if you're going to stick with Jay Cutler, you want to give him the tools he needs to be successful, give yourself the best opportunity, uh, And but this is another team I just want to mention that I think if, if I were the Bears, I would be calling the Tennessee Titans. I think an offer of Jay Cutler, who played his college ball at Vanderbilt in Tennessee, the number seven pick and change, to me, that's pretty enticing, and, and, and I Honestly, I think that works for everybody. Uh, I think the Titans get their veteran quarterback, pocket passer that Ked Wizenhunt wants, along with the number seven overall pick and, and probably some other goodies. Not, not, not too much more, but, but still a pretty good return. Jay Cutler gets a fresh start somewhere he's going to be comfortable. And the Bears get to start over at the most important position with a really young, talented guy like Mariota. To me, that seems like a win-win-win for everybody involved, especially because I mean, the, the, the worm is really turned for Jay Cutler in Chicago. I don't know if you guys know this, but Bears fans are not too pleased with him. So I just don't know how long that, that situation is going to be tenable. So uh, to me, that seems like there's a deal to be made there. And if I ran the Chicago Bears, I would absolutely be pursuing that. Shane, uh, your thoughts on Chicago? I think it's the best pick and then the best fit at that spot for what's left. Uh, they they probably do have some options if they want to look at defense or want to get uh, a pass rusher or something here. But they 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 need playmakers by trading away Brandon Marshall. The cupboard's pretty bare. I don't, I don't think Marks Wilson is going to come out and be a stud starting wide receiver anytime soon. And after that, there's nothing. So I think they've set themselves up for this, and they're in a good position to get one of Cooper and White. So great pick. Charlie, what do you think about the Cutler situation? You think they could be uh, there's a deal to be made there between them and the Titans, or am I just uh, playing fantasy football? No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think from the Titans' perspective, uh, if you're going to, you know, while Cutler isn't as good as Phillip Rivers, that seventh pick is a lot better than 17. And uh, I think from a trade perspective, that makes a lot of sense for both both teams. And uh, I just, I'm not sure that, that the, the Titans will do it, but uh, I, I just think it would be a, a good move for both, both franchises. All right, let's move on to number eight in the Atlanta Falcons, and I'll be making this pick. And as soon as I saw what the draft order was going to be, I knew what I was going to do here is just a matter of which player. Of course, the Falcons desperately need a pass rusher, and and they strangely neglected it last offseason, and I think they paid the price. They once again were had one of the, the least effective pass rushes in the league. I don't think they're going to make that mistake this time around again. I think they've made adding a, a stud pass rusher a top priority, and, and with both Fowler and Beasley off the board, I'm going to go to the next guy, Bud Dupree from Kentucky, who I think is going to go a lot earlier than most people expect. I think Bud Dupree is legitimately going to go in the top 10 to 13 overall worst case. And and, and as I said earlier in the show, to me, there is not a big difference grade-wise between Bud Dupree and Dante Fowler Jr. I think there's a lot of similarities there. I think Dupree's best football is still ahead of him. Um, I'm not crazy about the way he was utilized and developed at Kentucky um, I, I'm just a really big fan of Bud Dupree, so I, I think he's the, the best choice for the Falcons here, especially considering uh, Randy Gregory uh, failed that drug test at the scouting combine, which we'll talk about later on, I'm sure. And uh, I, I think Shane Ray from Missouri would also be in the mix here, but 
Uh, and I've heard the Falcons like him, but I, I think Dupree would be the pick. Uh, Charlie, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think anything other than a pass rusher, uh, I'm just going to have to rip the Falcons for that. I mean, really, the the team has had such a dramatic decline since John Abraham left, and it just has not been the same from that team that almost made it to the Super Bowl to a team that can't get any pressure on the quarterback, and that's just led to so many problems elsewhere on the defense. So I think that has to be addressed. I think, uh, you know, the rumors of them taking Todd Gurley, uh, I don't think as much as I love Todd Gurley, I think he's going to be one of the best players uh, in this draft for many years, but uh, I think they have to do something about that pass rush and they can target other quality running backs in the second day or mid-rounds. Shane, you want to make a case for uh, anything other than a pass rusher, or maybe a pass rusher other than Dupree? I, I, I don't, I don't like Shane Ray as much as I like Bud Dupree. Now, I, I think, I think the Falcons could prefer uh, Shane Ray. I think he could be a better fit when, when you, you look at Dan Quinn's defense, and uh, if you want some three-four looks with, with some with, the, with his hand down, I think Bud Dupree's definitely the better player. I think it's who they should take, but uh, I think I would be a little weary of if, if the Falcons would make that right choice. And that's what's going to make this pick so interesting is that they're likely going to have choices among pass rushers. But I don't know if I see any anything else that would throw a, a curveball. I'd hope, uh, kind of like Charlie said, that they wouldn't go a different direction and, and get ripped for it. I think the Falcons are pretty well positioned at number eight that they should get be able to get a good pass rusher there. Maybe not their top option, but probably one of their top two to three, unless everyone knows they're looking for a pass rusher, so maybe they're on the phone with the Chicago Bears trying to trade ahead uh, and get maybe get uh, one if, the, if we see an early run on those edge guys. So something to keep out an eye out for as well. Uh, Shane, you're up next at number nine with the New York Giants, a team that is – um, shown a willingness to go against the grain a little bit on draft day. I don't know that wide receiver was necessarily their greatest need in round one last year, but uh, they did pretty well with a guy named Odell Beckham Jr. A couple years ago, Justin Pugh wasn't necessarily considered a consensus first rounder. They took him uh, right around the 20 range. Uh, so what direction do you think the Giants are going to go with number nine? I think there's a lot of possibilities here for the Giants at nine. I think – they could go with, on the offensive line. Uh, they definitely need some some more help on the offensive line, especially the interior is is awful. So you look at you look at a, a well of guys at this nine spot with no offensive lineman off the board. Do, do they take maybe this, the safest player in Brandon Sheriff? Do they take uh, an offensive tackle like Andres Pete or Eric Flowers or Lel Collins? I think there's a lot of choices there. They they could go in on the defensive side, maybe take a cornerback, Trey Wayans, be the first to take uh, him off the board. Um, maybe even defensive tackle, Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll toss a surprise in here, and I don't think with the way the board's set up, they do it. But if Kevin White or Amari Cooper are sitting there at nine, they could go wide receiver again. Um, really, depending on Victor Cruz and his recovery, and even with his recovery, I don't know if you feel good about him long term. There's not much after Odell Beckham, but even even with the Giants going against the grain, I'm not. I'm going to go with the, on the offensive line here, and it's just a matter of who. And and I I, I struggle because I, I don't think 
I think offensive tackle would be the value, right? You want to take a left tackle this high. But with the success of guys like Zach Martin last year uh, for Dallas, uh, with with the success of interior offensive lineman Joel Batonio for the Browns, it maybe that position is making a little bit more headway in terms of importance. And so I think getting the, the safe, the really good player would be the way to go. So I'm going to take Brandon Sheriff, offensive lineman from Iowa. You can, you can play him at tackle. You can play him at guard. You can move him around. And the Giants can hopefully have a dynamic receiver in Odell Beckham and improve the running game and have a dynamic running game if they had Brandon Sheriff. Yeah, I, I kind of come along down the same lines as you. I, I think uh, my decision would have been between Sheriff, Lyle Collins from LSU, and Eric Flowers from Miami. Uh, and it, and personally, I have Sheriff rated the highest. And, and I think a, a factor that, that needs to be considered here, too, is Justin Pugh. I believe he's not crazy about moving inside to guard. Uh, he'd probably do it if he was asked, but I don't think that's his ideal preference. So maybe that tilts the the scale away from a guy like Eric Flowers, who's a true tackle, toward a Sheriff or a Collins who give you options, whether it be left tackle, right tackle, or even potentially guard. Um, and we can make an argument about whether a, a, if a guard is worth a top 10 overall pick, but I think we saw last year that Zach Martin certainly had that type of return for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Charlie, uh, do you agree that the Giants are going to be looking blockers there, or do you see another scenario? Oh, I agree 100%. I think uh, offensive line is really the spot they're honing in on, and I think uh, Sheriff is probably – uh, the top choice, I think Flowers would factor in there because he, he offers the tackle side of things uh, and potential left tackle as well. But I, I think that Sheriff is the cleanest player. Teams love him, and I, I, I would be surprised if he fell really further than anywhere like 9 or 10. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if he ends up being a surprise pick earlier uh, in the top 10 because there are a lot of teams that really love him and they feel that he's just a can't-miss player and he's going to end up being a 10-year starter that gives you a lot in terms of running the ball and, and pass protection on the inside. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going a little bit higher than we might expect. Yeah, and, and if you're a decision maker that might be on the hot seat, uh, I think Sheriff is your your safe option. Uh, I think you know exactly what you're getting in him. So uh, I agree with that pick. Let's move on to number 10 in the St. Louis Rams, a, a, a kind of a difficult team to get a read on because they don't have a whole lot of holes. Uh, they've had so many premium draft picks in recent years. Charlie, what, where where do you see them going with this top 10 pick? With this pick, I see the offensive line being the target. And from speaking with people there, the players they really uh, have in this pool from the O-line are Sheriff Flowers, Andrus Pete, and Lyle Collins. And with Sheriff off the board, I think they would go with Eric Flowers because he can come in, uh, be that bookend with Greg Robinson at right tackle, gives them some you know, physicality and run blocking that I think uh, they would really like to have on that right side. He's bigger and stronger than Pete or Collins, so I think that he would make sense for them. They've had him in on a pre-draft visit and have shown a lot of interest in him. So I think in this situation, the Rams would go with Flowers. 
I think that would be a great fit for the Rams. It would give them a quality set of bookends for a long time with Flowers and Robinson. And, and of course, with Nick Foles, isn't the most nimble of foot. So it would be behoove them to, to give him ample protection. And, and I really like Flowers. I've maintained I think he's going to go earlier than a lot of people expect. I have him in the top 10 overall in my latest mock draft as well. And I think one thing that might work in his favor even more so than uh, with a Sheriff or a Collins is that Flowers is definitely a tackle, maybe even a left tackle. I, I'm not completely sold he couldn't do that at the next level, but at the very least he's a right tackle, whereas I think there's a little bit more uncertainty with, with Sheriff and Collins. So if you're looking for a pure offensive tackle, I think Flowers and Pete are going to be the two guys uh, that are going to be in the conversation. But I would definitely give the edge to Flowers there for the Rams too. Uh, Shane, what do you think of that pick? I think it's solid. I think it's solid. I like I like Flowers a lot too, and and I think top ten is solid is good for him. I don't know if if he's as dynamic as you want, but I don't think there is an offensive lineman that's as dynamic as you want in this draft. And so I, I'm I've kind of the more I've thought about it, the more I'm digging into these teams and how many offensive linemen can go in the first round. I really think they get pushed up. Uh, and, and then this this draft is an example: Sheriff nine, Flowers ten, and I think Andres Pete and, and, and Lyle Collins are, are going to go pretty soon too. All right, I'm up next at number 11 with the Minnesota Vikings. That was just a coincidence. I happen to be from Minnesota, so I have a pretty good read on the situation, I think. And I'm going to go with Trey Waynes, cornerback from Michigan State. Uh, of course, Mike Zimmer, uh, when he during his time in Cincinnati, that organization definitely prioritized uh, the cornerback position early on, uh, mostly question marks beyond Xavier Rhodes, and they got to face – not only Aaron Rodgers twice a year, but they have to face Calvin Johnson a couple times a year in that passing attack, and and the Bears with not only Alshon Jeffrey, but maybe Amari Cooper or Kevin White as well. So I think the Vikings need to do better in that secondary, and to get the top corner in the draft at number 11 I think is, is terrific value. And and I, I they could go with the wide receiver like Devontae Parker. Uh, that, that makes sense on paper to reunite Parker with Bridgewater, but they're a lot higher on Charles Johnson than a lot of people realize, I think, uh, especially Norv Turner. He really likes Charles Johnson, plus they already traded for Mike Wallace. So um, I don't know that wide receiver is as much of a priority for the Vikings as many believe. Uh, if they trade Adrian Peterson, maybe Todd Gurley comes into the conversation or Melvin Gordon. But I would say one dark horse to watch out for with the Vikings is Randy Gregory. And Mike, uh, Mike Zimmer showed – throughout his career, that he has a knack for getting the best out of talented but maybe somewhat troubled players, whether it be Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap, uh, Ray Maluga, Vontez Berfic. Uh So I-, I wouldn't be shocked if they, just from a best player available, available standpoint, took a shot on, on Randy Gregory at that point, even though it- it's def- definitely not one of their, their major areas of need. But I'm going to go with Trey Waynes there. Shane? It has seemed that they've they've been looking at pass rushers, so I think the Gregory the, the Gregory comment is very interesting um, to me, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. But I love the Trey Wayne's pick. I think he, there's a clear tier of him by himself at this cornerback position. So if you need one and you're picking in the top 15, I, th- I think you have to take take that shot, and I think the Vikings are a perfect team to take that shot. Um, it, they have some potential wide receivers still, so th- even though everyone's kind of putting putting Devontae Parker here to pair Teddy Bridgewater, I think Waynes makes more sense. And um, I, I'd be interested to see with, with Adrian Peterson and how that situation goes. I mean, maybe this is where Todd Gurley could go off the board and then they could look to trade Adrian Peterson I think that would be a crazy conversation on draft day. At least it would make things fun. 
Yeah, and, and, and I'm not convinced that Trey Waynes even lasts this long. I think he's another guy who could get pushed up and, and come off the board maybe four or five picks earlier than expected. But, uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on the Vikings? Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's uh, it's really, you know, tough to predict between those two options of Waynes and Parker because they both look, you know, perfect fits on paper. But I think, you know, when you look at the way the Vikings have to be looking at the, their division, uh, you know, if they if they were to think of what they could get in a second round, they could still probably land a nice receiver in this class, but they aren't going to get a cornerback nearly as good as Trey Waynes unless they were to get Marcus Peters if he fell there and they've had him in for a visit. But I'm not sure that he's going to make it to their second-round pick, and I don't think they can bank on that. So, I think Wayne's really is the one that, that makes the most sense in terms of giving them two big cornerbacks on the outside that can run, and then you have Captain Munnerlin, uh to come inside uh, in the slot, and you have a veteran and Terrence Newman to kind of help guide those young corners. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and it really fits with Zimmer's track record. All right, Shane, you're up next at number 12 with the Cleveland Browns, and they need your help. Help the Browns, Shane. <laughs> uh, well, the, the problem is I'm supposed to do what they, what, they, what, they sh- what they want to do and not what they should do, right? So uh, so that might be an issue with helping <laughs> the Browns. But, no, honestly, the, the Browns, if they don't move up, um, this is a pretty good spot for a lot of their options. I know a lot of people have a wide receiver here. I think they should go with with a wide receiver if Devontae Parker is sitting there. I think he's really good. I think he's dynamic and could be a true wide receiver one and coveted around this spot, uh, teams like Cleveland, Minnesota, Miami, so uh, San Francisco. So it would be a good pick. But I don't think they do it. I don't think Cleveland is, seems too interested in taking wide receivers. So I look to the trenches. I think either offensive line or defensive line. Um, and, and if I want to guess it's kind of which one at 19 is probably more likely uh, to be there, I think that nose tackle is probably more likely to be there, Danny Shelton or Malcolm Brown. So uh, I'm going to go on the offensive line, and I'm going to take a versatile player and take Lyle Collins, offensive lineman from LSU. I'm a huge fan of him. I think he can play offensive tackle despite the big size. And worst case, you move in, you have this big, big uh, physical guard uh, player, and I think the right tackle is a perfect spot for him in the Brown scheme um, where they seem to be kind of content on, on upgrading that. We've talked about it on the show before, and though I'm a little skeptical if that's actually as big a need as a lot of other things. I think Mitchell Schwartz is at least serviceable. He's going to be a free agent soon, and Lyle Collins could make for a really nasty offensive line. I, I, I think you went the exact direction I would if I were making that pick. I think Lyle Collins makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, of course, last year uh, they were interested in, in Greg Robinson, the top five. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz has been somewhat of a weak link on that O-line, uh, even though he's played every game since he was drafted early in the second round, but only one year left on his contract. So uh, I think Lyle Collins makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree with you. I think everybody looks and says, oh, wide receiver, but I don't think they feel the same way. I think they're going to look at it and say, Wayne Bow, Brian Hartline, problem solved. Uh, I, I think that's very uh, thin ice to go out on, but I think also the Browns organization showed last year that wide receiver isn't necessarily a priority for them. Not only did they pass on Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans and Odell Beckham and all those types of guys, but really all throughout the draft, they, they basically took a, a pass on the wideout position. So I don't know that they're good. that's going to be as much of a priority for them as, as maybe most feel or, or that it, it should be. 
Charlie, what are your thoughts on that choice? Yeah, I completely agree with you guys, and I think Shane uh, really summarized the Browns well in terms of what they will do and what they should do are completely different things, um, especially in this passing-driven NFL. But I think Collins does make a lot of sense as a great fit for their line because they can pair up Batonio at guard, and that gives them two tough guards. And then if Schwartz isn't re-signed, you can move Collins to right tackle, and he's had a year of going against NFL defensive linemen and, you know, developed his game uh, to be ready to move back out to the edge. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do agree with you guys. The Browns seem to be with Ray Farmer, uh, you know, more – focused on drafting for their lines and, and building up at the point of attack rather than addressing the skill positions. All right, Charlie, you are up on the clock again at number 13 with the New Orleans Saints, who also have the 31st overall pick in this draft, uh, as well as the mid-second round pick. So this is kind of a situation where they, they kind of have to look, take more of a global view and, and I think kind of figure out their best plan of attack. If we do X here, what can we do later? What type of talent is going to be available at other positions? So I think there's a lot of moving pieces for the Saints here. Uh, I, I, let's hear what direction you're going to go with them. I think in the way this has played out, I think that Shane Ray would be their pick. And I think, uh, you know, the the whole Jimmy Graham trade and the way the past few seasons have worked out for the Saints, the defense has been such a liability in terms of keeping teams uh, from scoring points and causing Drew Brees to play in too many shootouts. And I think that having another pass rusher to go on the other side from Junior Gallette and Cam Jordan would really be the value here for the Saints. And I think Shane Ray is a nice fit in Rob Ryan 3-4. He can move him around, kind of play games with them and line them up against different, you know, offensive linemen and just give them some pass rush from a few different angles. And I think that that really uh, would be the direction that the Saints would go here. Hey, Charlie, let me ask you, evaluating Shane Ray, I came away with the impression from the film that he was going to be struggle playing on his feet at the next level, and for me, that was kind of confirmed with his disappointing workouts, wasn't particularly uh, athletic in terms of the short area, change of direction. I just have real concerns about whether Shane Ray can play outside linebacker at the next level, and if that's the case, he has a lot of the same issues that Michael Sam had to a much lesser degree, but is is there is there a chance he's just a four three situational pass rusher who's only going to be able to to come in in special situations? And if so, how early do you take a guy like that? So I wouldn't be shocked if Ray slid a little bit. I actually had him going to the Steelers at twenty two in my most recent mock, but I could see him still going in the half, top half of the first round. But I'm just interested as an evaluator, Charlie. What are your thoughts on Ray? Do you think he's capable of playing linebacker? Uh, well, I think he, he is, but I do agree with you that he is kind of a tough translation to the NFL because uh, you look at his body type and everything, and there aren't that many guys that he really compares to in the NFL that you can kind of use as a model for success. And, and speaking with some teams, uh, picking in the teams, they are considering him. They do you know, have him as a potential option at their picks, and they feel – that, you know, his run defense is going to need a lot of work. 
so in the beginning, um, you know, he's going to be a situational pass rusher until they can get him ready to play on all three downs and hold his own in the ground game. So uh, I do see the potential for him to go that middle of the first round or even slide a bit later. So uh, I, I think that that is possible, but I think with where the Saints are and where their kind of needs align, I would have wanted them to take Bud Dupree, but with uh, Atlanta grabbing him at eight, I think the Saints, you know, are kind of forced into the situation as to, well, do we want uh, Randy Gregory? Is, is he, you know, clean enough off the field, or do you go with Shane Ray? And I think in that situation, the Saints are probably going to lean more towards Shane Ray. Yeah, and I guess for me, I would lean a little more towards Randy Gregory, uh, but I'm a Randy Gregory fan, and, and I understand why they wouldn't. Um, it, it, Randy Gregory is going to be a risk. He's boomer bust, but I think at this point, the potential war- rewards start to outweigh the risks because Randy Gregory – is arguably the top pure pass rusher in this class, and you're talking about yeah. maybe a potential hundred million dollar talent. And and the Saints have not only shown interest in Gregory, but they've also checked out Marcus Peters. So they're at least yep. doing their due diligence. So, uh, but but I w- I wouldn't be shocked if they went they were they shied away and went with another direction. But but I totally agree that pass rusher should be their priority at 13, just because we see them going so fast here. I'm just not comfortable that there's going to be a really good one available at 31, and I don't think the Saints can afford not to address that position. Uh, Shane, what are, you th- what are your thoughts on the Saints and or Shane Ray? I think Shane Ray is going to go in the top half of the first round. I agree with Charlie. I think Bud Dupree would be a, a, a better fit for the Saints, but I'm not a big Shane Ray fan. I, I see why teams like him, and I see why I think he's going to go that high, especially if pass rushers are flying off the board in that top ten. Uh, I think there's so many teams that need them that he, he's going to go going to go here. And the Saints, it, it's, it's such a big need, and they've shown that they have some versatility in the types of pass rushers that they have. So I, I'd hope they could mold Shane Ray into something, but it does make sense. All right, I'm up next at number 14 with the Miami Dolphins, and, and – this is kind of my best-case scenario as the Dolphins GM, I think. I'm going to go with Devontae Parker, the wide receiver from Louisville. Not only is wide receiver a need, I think a wide receiver like Devontae Parker specifically is a need. I think he'd be a perfect complement to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills. He'd give them that big, physical go-to presence in that passing attack. So uh, Devontae Parker's there. I, I just think that makes a ton of sense. And, and even if he's gone, I wouldn't be shocked if we see the second tier of wideouts get pushed up a little bit, whether it be Brashad Perriman from Central Florida, Jalen Strong from Arizona State, maybe they get pushed up into the top half of round one. There's just so many teams in the middle of the first round that are looking at, at potentially looking at wideout. We mentioned the Vikings, the Browns, the Saints, Dolphins, maybe the Niners, the Texans, the Chiefs, uh, the Browns again, the Eagles. So I just think we're going to have a run on, on those second t- uh, on those wideouts in the middle of the first round. But if Parker's there, I think he's exactly what the doctor ordered for Miami. Your thoughts, Shane? I love it. Uh, I think if he was sitting there, the Dolphins would run to that podium to take him. And I know there's been rumors of them moving up maybe for Kevin White or even for Parker, potentially if they have to. Miami, with with training away Wallace, which uh, which probably was the right move for them, for for the locker room and for the team as a whole, uh, I do think that that Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills can be really good. But if you can find that number one receiver, and as you always say, Scott, bump everyone down a spot. You have Landry as the number two, Stills playing the slot and and going deep and letting Devontae Parker do everything. I think his offense gets a heck of a lot better. I thought Tannehill made some progressions out of the offensive line, got better. I think Jordan Cameron signing was good. Um, Then this offense 
to be really be a running back away from being really good if that's uh, Paris Lamar Miller, if they get, uh, get Devontae Parker or Kevin White. Charlie, you want to make a case for the Dolphins going in another direction, whether it be a different player or a different position? Yeah, I, I kind of see this pick really lined up uh, with the Vikings pick. I think that if it really depends on what the Vikings do at 11. I think if the Vikings go Trey Waynes and Parker – is perfect for the for Miami, and if uh, the Vikings take Parker, then I think Trey Waynes would make sense for the Dolphins. But trading up for one of those receivers, I think, if and trading up to make sure they get one of these top three guys, I could definitely see the Dolphins doing that. You know, Dennis Hickey uh, was really aggressive this off season with the Sioux signing. It just illustrates that they're trying to make a big jump right now and get into the postseason so they continue to keep their jobs, Hickey as GM and Joe Philbin as head coach. And I think that them being aggressive in the draft seems entirely possible to try and make sure they get an impact player for Tannehill and just someone that can come in and help them right away as a rookie and make a difference for them with scoring points now that they have a, a franchise player on the defensive side of the ball. All right, Shane, you're up next at number 15 with the San Francisco 49ers, and I'm kind of interested to see what you're going to do here because I think you can make an argument that the 49ers have gone as undergone as much of a makeover as any team in the league since the season ended. Uh, they've lost a lot of, of key pieces, so they definitely need to uh, reload, and this pick is going to be important for them. What direction do you see them going? It is going to be an important pick. I think it's a really hard pick to make. I, I kind of dread uh, doing mock drafts and picking for San Francisco because uh, I think there's a lot they can do, but only a little bit they can do. I mean, the biggest need for this team is inside linebacker. With with, with Patrick Willis and Chris Borland retiring, there, there's not an inside linebacker to take at 15. Uh, even if you, you love Eric Kendricks, I don't think you think he's a, he's a top half of the first round type of player. So that seems like something they, they'll address in the second round. I, I think Adam Kendricks and Benadric McKinney of uh, Mississippi State possibilities, but maybe the too early for me. Uh, then I look, I look towards the defensive line. Uh, they have some age there, Justin Smith and Darnell Dockett. So maybe they could go that way. But I thought Tony Gerard Eddy played well last year. Tank Carradine still coming along. They have some young pieces, and, and if, if you're uh, Tom Sula, the, the new head coach who was the defensive line coach, it was, see, it, that's all going to depend on how comfortable he is with these players. And bringing in Darnell Dockett, maybe it's kind of a, a Band-Aid that they, that they aren't going to do uh, much with it. Um, maybe wide receiver, Rashad Perriman, uh, maybe take a chance on Dorio Green-Beckham. But after signing Torrey Smith, I put that on the back burner. So I'm going to throw a wrench in this thing. I'm going to toss a pick here I've never made for the 49ers. I don't know if I've seen anyone really make for the 49ers. I think cornerback is a huge position in need. There's not really good value here at 15. But I think there's one talent that fits at 15 and has fallen due to character concerns that if he checks out, the 49ers could take him. So I'm, I'm going off the, off the wall, and I'm having the 49ers take Marcus Peters, cornerback out of Washington, at 15. I think that could very well end up happening. And in, in, in my last mock draft, I went with Eric Armstead from Oregon. I just thought Jim Tom Suler, the new head coach, a noted D-line guru, I, I 
figured he might be enticed by Armstead's upside and, and potential and would like to work with him. But but uh, on the on the flip side, maybe he has enough confidence that he can work with youngsters like Tank Carradine and Tony Gerard Eddy. So maybe it isn't as much of a priority with not only Ray McDonald no longer in the picture, Justin Smith is contemplating retirement, Darnell Dockett's just a short-term solution. So I could very easily see them going cornerback here, and, and they've showed some interest in Marcus Peters after losing both Chris Culver and Parrish Cox as free agents. And, and the 49ers are a team that's shown a willingness to take a chance on guys who might have some question marks about their makeup and can go from Aaron Lynch who they drafted last year they're sticking by Alden Smith uh, can go right on down the line so I think Marcus Peters would make a lot of sense and I think cornerback is clearly their top need but but like Shane said they're kind of in no man's land to a certain degree where the, the value doesn't necessarily match up with their needs but if they're comfortable with Peters as a person then I think that makes perfect sense Charlie your thoughts yeah I completely agree and I I think the the Eric Armstead fit you know, looks really nice as well. And I've asked a few teams, and a few teams I've spoken with have second-round grade on Armstead. So, you know, that might lead to 49ers being able to target him later on, whether he slips, you know, lower in the first or early in the second, and they're in a position where they could maybe trade up for him. And then their defense really just got reloaded quickly by getting a cornerback like Peters and an arm, a defensive lineman like Armstead and just gives them some young building blocks on that side of the ball. All right, Charlie, you are up next at number 16 with the Houston Texans. And uh, this is another one where I'm kind of interested to see what direction you go. Yeah, and, you know, the Texans' biggest needs are a wide receiver to replace Andre Johnson, a number one. They really need an inside linebacker. There isn't one really worthy of the 16th pick. And then after that, a need that a lot of people don't really kind of address with Houston is running back. And that's because uh, Arian Foster will turn 29 later this year in the preseason. And the Texans last year came so close to the playoffs, but they had Foster miss three games. He was banged up and couldn't finish a couple other games and that really hurt their offense, and they are so dependent on that ground game. So considering there isn't a receiver or a linebacker worth taking here, I'm going to have the Texans take Todd Gurley and get that two-headed monster at running back, give them something on offense, a real presence where they can run the ball, play good defense, give their quarterbacks the support of some depth on the ground. And, you know, the Texans, their offense was so dependent on Foster, where if he went down with an injury in week two or in the preseason, their season would be in serious jeopardy as to what they could do and how they would be able to score points. So I think they, you know, they're a team that really does look at the top talent available. You saw that last year with them taking Clowney first and foremost in that draft. So, I think the way this has played out, the Texans would go with Gurley. You know, I, I think that's really interesting. And, and like you said, that's not an option that people really talk about with the Texans. But the more you start thinking about it, it does make sense. Arian Foster's got a lot of mileage on his tires. He's coming up on that, that 30-year-old mark, which is kind of a, the, the dreaded age for a running back. And, and he's had some injuries in recent years. And, and for a team that's going to be so dependent on that running game since their, their passing attack is, is still a question mark, uh, like you said, they just could not survive a, a, a long-term absence of Foster. So I think that would be really interesting. And, and, and talent-wise, 
I mean, I'd rather, I guess I'd rather bring in a guy like Gurley than maybe one of those, set, reach for one of those second-tier wide receivers that you're kind of talking yourself into. So uh, that would be interesting. Shane, what are your thoughts on Todd Gurley to the Houston Texans? I think Charlie makes some really good points, and I think the more I think about it, the, the more I like it, because this this offense that, that Bill Bryan's running seems to be very run-focused, and if, if you don't have a quarterback, then when you're facing these smaller defenses now, bulk up, man, go and go and get that run game going. So you can you still have Aaron Foster. You don't have to push Todd Gurley along too quickly. You can still have an elite running back. I personally wouldn't take a running back in the first round. We've talked about it on the show a ton, but it makes a lot of sense to me, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Houston do it. I think it would be an interesting choice. Hey, Charlie, last question on that. Uh, is, is that uh, something that you have maybe a little insight on, that that's a direction they're, they're considering or leaning, or, or maybe talk a little bit about what led you to that choice? Yeah, I've definitely heard that that's something they are considering and they're discussing, and they had Gurley uh, come in for a pre-draft visit, get another look at him, make sure uh, his rehab is going well. And, and teams are getting reports that, uh, they feel he's going to be ready at the start of training camp. So, and the Texans have the perfect situation for him where he can take his time to come back because they do have Foster, so they don't have to rush him back right away. And then if uh, you know Foster gets injured and midway through the season and he misses a game or two, their offense isn't you know up a creek. Uh, so I, I just think that it makes a lot of sense for talent and need and really kind of looking at the short term and the long term uh, planning for that offense and then having more talent up there to score points. I like that. You kind of talked me into it. Uh, I'm up next at number 17 with the San Diego Chargers, and, and Gurley was definitely the one of the guys that I was going to be looking at. Of course, they lost Ryan Matthews in free agency. So I, I'm looking at one of two directions, or one of probably three directions, I'll say here. Uh, one, Melvin Gordon, the running back from Wisconsin. Two, a pass rusher. I think that's still a huge need, but, boy, I just don't know if the value's there right now. Talent-wise, Randy Gregory is value, but I just don't see the San Diego Chargers going that direction with his off-the-field concerns. Then the third option I'm kind of looking at is is maybe Cameron Irving, the center from Florida State, who would kind of finally shore up the rest of their issues on the interior of the line that's been a problem. They could uh, kick Chris Watt back outside to guard and have Irving at center along with Orlando Franklin, their big free agent acquisition. So I think that might make some sense too. But I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon, the running back from Wisconsin here. I, I think they need that, that workhorse running back to kind of um, anchor that aspect of their offense. Uh, so assuming they don't trade this pick in a deal to move up for Marcus Mariota along with Philip Rivers, I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon, the running back from Wisconsin here. Shane? I think it seems more and more likely that these two running backs are going to come off the board earlier than we think. I think maybe the last two years have, have painted have painted people um, to, to feel uh, the running backs are all going to fall. But I think there's a lot of teams, if, if we, especially if we include Houston, Houston, San Diego, uh, Dallas, Baltimore, I think there's a lot of teams that could be looking at running backs. I think they're going to go early, and I think Melvin Gordon is right there. So, heck, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a third running back go in the first round and, and kind of surprise everyone late. I think I think it's a nice pick. I think it's important for San Diego to have to have that player, and there's just, there's no one on the roster right now, so it has to become a huge priority for them. Yeah, and and I think we, I think there's a legitimate chance we could see two runners in the top twenty overall. Uh, and, and and as I've been saying 
since day one. This is going to be a really the true litmus test for the value of a stud running back prospect in the modern NFL draft because even though we haven't had one the past couple of years, we haven't really had talents like Gurley or Gordon either. So I'm going to be very interested to see where they come off the board, but I guess I would lean a little earlier than later as well, and I wouldn't be at all shocked if they both went in the top 20. Charlie, your thoughts on that pick? Yeah, I, I completely agree that uh, it, it looks like a running-based pick, whether it's Gordon or Cam Irving. I think uh, I feel really torn between those two, and I think you look at last year, they went through like five centers uh, you know, up front for the Chargers, so you, you could make a big argument that Cam Irving would really be the missing piece up front there. But I think when also you look at Phillip Rivers, uh, aging, giving him something like he had when he had Tomlinson with a real running game to support him and an elite back like Gordon. I, I really like Melvin Gordon, and I love Todd Gurley. I have them both rated really high. Gurley is my second overall player in the draft, so Winston and, and Gordon I have not too far behind those guys. I just think talent-wise they're clean, they're safe. Uh, what they did on the field, they're going to be good backs in the NFL. So I think that'd be a really nice pick for the Chargers, and it makes a ton of sense. And I have uh, Gurley as my number four player in, in my overall rankings as well. And philosophically, I just wouldn't take a running back that early, but I just couldn't make a legitimate argument to keep him out of the top five talent-wise. Uh, Shane, you are up next at number 18 with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they have a lot of options here, including all of the second-tier wideouts. Are we going to see a run start here, or are you going to go in another direction? The Chiefs do have a lot of options here. It really comes down to two positions for me. Wide receiver, uh, obviously a big need, losing Dwayne Bow, even though they signed Jeremy Macklin. There isn't much else on the roster to feel good about. I thought Albert Wilson played well last year, but probably more of a slot player. They need a starting wideout. And offensive line. Um, uh, center, losing Rodney Hudson's pretty big, but uh, so Cameron Irving is a possibility for me. Uh, Andres Pete is still on the board, who I, I think would be a really nice option for them. But it seems like they're, they're pretty content with their Cush taking over at center. And I, I don't know if there's, there's uh, as gigantic holes the offensive tackle positions, perhaps. So I'm kind of waffling, but uh, you know, what kind of, kind of, tips me this way is they, they brought in Brashad Perriman for a private workout and I could see it happening even though I, I don't think they should take a wide receiver necessarily in the first round or that uh, that they can they can go elsewhere and be all right I think Brashad Perriman is going to go in the top 20 because of those physical talents and because of the physical skills and he seems like the type of wide out that uh, Andy Reid's going to want to, to put up with Jeremy Macklin so I'm, I'm going to select Brashad Perriman wide receiver at UCF. Well, I can con concur with your assessment of the situation. I think wide receiver, offensive line. Personally, I probably would have leaned a little more towards either Andrus Pete or uh, Cameron Irving to shore up that O-line, but certainly wide receiver is a huge need as well. And this might be a slight reach for Perriman, but I, like I said, I think that, that run on the second-tier pass catchers is, is probably going to start earlier rather than later. And, and Perriman, it's not that he's just a workout warrior. I think that's mistaken. Were, was everybody surprised that he ran a 4-2 in the workout? Definitely. But he was a good player regardless of what he ran. Uh, but, but certainly running a 4-2 can put you in that middle of the first-round mix. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on the Chiefs? Do you think Perriman's a good pick for them here? Would you have gone offensive line, maybe another direction? Yeah, I I think that if I'm picking, if I were picking for them, I'd probably go with an offensive lineman uh, 
you know, a tackle or, or interior guy like Cam Irving, the flexibility to kind of play all over. But I, I see exactly what Shane's saying. And you think back to Andy Reid, uh, you know, when he had Macklin going well in Philadelphia, they had another receiver to pair with them and a vertical one and Deshaun Jackson. And I think that Perriman with that speed kind of brings that other vertical element to the other side of the field. And I could see that really having an appeal to the Chiefs. All right. Up next, Charlie, you have the Cleveland Browns at number 19. This is the pick they acquired from the Buffalo Bills in that draft day trade a year ago. And just to refresh everyone's memory, Shane had the Browns' previous pick at number 12, and he chose Lyle Collins, the offensive lineman from LSU. So I'm sure you're going to want to factor that into your choice here for Cleveland. Yeah, and I, with the way the Browns have kind of shown – uh, their tendency and preference to, to go towards the lines. I think that Cleveland would go with Danny Sheldon here, the nose tackle from Washington, give them another big body on the inside. They could move on from Phil Taylor uh, before too long. And Danny Sheldon, uh, with the way he is off the field, really seems like the kind of guy that has an appeal Ray Farmer and, and what they kind of want to do this offseason and what the, what the kind of players they want to bring into their locker room. So I think Danny Shelton would be the pick here for the Browns and, and they would be happy to come away with uh, a big defensive lineman that's disruptive and then they get an offensive lineman with their first pick and, and they're building off that the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, not only as a replacement for Ataba Rubin, but Phil Taylor only has the one year left on his contract. And uh, assuming they don't go wide receiver at 12, I wouldn't be in favor of them going wide out here, even though I think that's a need at this point. I'm not sure I love the value. If I were the Cleveland Browns and you didn't take a wide out with that first pick, I think I'd be looking at another position here knowing that I can still get a pass catcher in the second or third round, especially if they're, in their view at least, they're not necessarily looking for a instant impact number one go-to guy. They can maybe be afford to be patient uh, with someone that might take a little bit more time or, or somebody that might not quite have a, a, the, the number one upside but can be more of a complementary player at the position. So uh, I would not be at all surprised to see the, the Browns go addressing the trenches with both of those first-round picks. In fact, I think that's what I have in my most recent mock draft. So uh, I totally agree with that pick. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, Shane, uh, what are your thoughts on Danny Shelton to the Browns? I know you mentioned him as a possibility at 12. You thought he might be available at 19. Lo and behold, you were right. I think I think it worked out great for the Browns to shore up the, the, the trenches and shore up the line. I think Danny Shelton is, is a really good player, is a dynamic player, uh, especially from, from his college tape. Now, in the NFL, I don't know if it's going to fully translate for him to be getting in the backfield and making sacks and making big plays, but let's try to know what the Browns need. So I think it's an awesome pick, and I think you could go 12 to them. The CFB have to get him a 19. All right, I'm up next at number 20 with the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is probably the pick I've been dreading most of all that I have just because Chip Kelly is kind of playing uh, by his own set of rules right now, and I think he's a tough guy to get a read on. Uh, what direction he's going to go with the selection. Um, I'm leaning wide receiver, and the two guys you often hear here linked to Philly are Jalen Strong from Arizona State and Nelson Aguilar from USC. I also think they could use a defensive back. I just don't see the value here at number 20 for uh, a corner, maybe a safety, maybe Landon Collins from, from Alabama. I guess if I were in charge of the Eagles, I'd be leaning a little more towards Collins. 
but I've heard too that they really like Eric Rowe, cornerback uh, slash safety out of Utah. So maybe that could be a, a surprise dark horse for Philly. But I guess I'm going to go with Jalen Strong here. Uh, I think he's probably the best fit in terms of value and need. Um, I'm going to give him the the, the slight edge there. Uh, but I, I'm not necessarily – I don't have any degree of conviction about this, either the position or the player. Um, but, but I think Jalen Strong's a legitimate back half of the first round type of talent. Uh, the, the one big concern we had about him was his speed. He ran a 4-4-4 at the scouting combine. And uh, terrific size. He does all those little things that you look for at the wide-out position. I'm a big fan of Jalen Strong, so I think he'd make a lot of of, of, of uh, sense for Philly. But, but like I say, no degree of conviction here. So if either of you guys see something different or, or think I'm completely off base, please feel free to chime in. Uh, and we'll start with you, Shane. I, I think the Eagles are going to be a fun pick in this first round. I I think Jalen Strong's a very good possibility. I think they could go with a wide receiver losing Jeremy Macklin, and and it's all going to depend on what they want. Do they want uh, a Jalen Strong, and and do they want to go with someone that's smaller, maybe more of a slot player like Nelson Aguilar? Um, I think they could go a number of different directions. I think this is going to be one of those, kind of like last year, taking Marcus Smith, I think this pick's going to be a little bit off the beaten path, whether it's in Nelson Aguilar or by Byron Jones or, or just someone that maybe we're not viewing as a top 20 guy right now. Charlie, can you offer any insight into the mindset of the Philadelphia Eagles at 20? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you guys both really summarized it well, and I think Shane makes a great point that it could be somebody kind of off the path that uh, we aren't really considering, but it is really the firm direction that Chip Kelly wants to go, but I do think that Strong and Aguilar make a lot of sense as far as the Pac-12 receivers uh, that that are guys that are playmakers for their teams and someone that they had to account for. You know, Strong gives them some size, and Chip Kelly would like to have some size at receiver. And I think after losing Jeremy Macklin, they have Matthews coming back, but, you know, Riley Cooper may not be on the team that much longer, so... I just think that uh, Strong and, and Aguilar really are the are the two that would make the most sense. And, and you know, with the, you're having to predict an unpredictable team, uh, those guys to me kind of seem like the right fit. Just for my own benefit, I'm interested, what direction would you guys have gone specifically with that pick if you had been making it? Shane, I'll, I'll let you go first since you have the next pick. But wh- which player would you have taken for Philly if you were, had that team? I probably would have went same position, but I probably would have went with Nelson Aguilar. Charlie? I would have gone with Strong. All right. Excellent. Yeah. So I wasn't too far off base then. Not as, not as much as I thought I might be, at least. Uh, Shane, you were up next at number 21 with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals, if I first look at their roster, there's not really a, a glaring hole. And it seems to have been this way for a couple of years, but they can't uh, seem to to win a ton. Uh, I think there's positions that could use upgrading, specifically in the trenches and, and at the linebacker position. But I look at linebacker, I don't see anyone here that, that really makes me, uh, makes me excited. Maybe a, a Shaq Thompson, but I think that would be a little bit of a reach perhaps for them. And it doesn't seem to be a position they're super concerned about. Um, with with Landon and Collins on the board. He's a player I'm considering, but uh, I think Reggie Nelson's a really good player um, and, and a strong safety. George Iloka played extremely well last year, and he's still very young. 
doesn't seem like a great fit, even if the value is pretty good. So, um, so I, I look at offensive line, defensive line. Um, I think there's some good value at both positions, and I, I don't think the Bengals necessarily need an offensive tackle. So I'm going to go defensive line here, and I think there's pretty set a defensive tackle. But even signing Michael Johnson back, he had a very poor year. Uh, Marcus Hunt has not developed extremely well. And I think the Bengals could use a player that they can put with his hand down, maybe stand up and, and play a little bit um, at linebacker. And they seem to have kind of wanted that when they, when they brought in James Harrison a couple years ago, and, and that didn't work out. Try and find kind of this hybrid player. And there's one that's sitting there that if it wasn't for, for the combine and uh, – what happened there, he probably would already be gone. So I'm going to take Randy Gregory, uh, edge pass rusher out of Nebraska here for them, and, and failing the, the drug test at, at the Combine, talking about his marijuana issues, um, that I think it pushes him down the board into at, past the top 20, and this is the string of picks, the Bengals, the Steelers, uh, maybe the Cardinals that could look at him. And, and um, I know, Scott, you get bashed for it all the time, but the Bengals do take chances on players, and Randy Gregory is, is a chance player, but one that could fit this, this defense and make it even more dynamic. Yeah, Bengals fans don't like it when I keep bringing that up, but I, I think it's just a fact. The Bengals have a tendency to take chances on talented but troubled players, and, and I don't even necessarily say it's a bad thing. I think more often than not, it's worked out very well for them, and, and I, I think that's why Gregory would make a whole lot of sense for them, and it would be a, 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 a very good fit. Um, you know, And let's talk a little bit about Gregory, too, while we're, about this pick. It's probably more interesting in the Bengals aspect of it, but just how far do we think he's going to fall? I, I tend to think he's not going to free fall just – for, for really two factors. One, it's a different drug testing system than what, for example, Josh Gordon was under. It's a much higher threshold for a test. You get much, much you get far more failures before you face a lengthy suspension. And secondly, he can rush the passer. If you can get up to the quarterback, I just think teams are going to be willing to overlook a lot. I still wouldn't be shocked if he goes somewhere in the middle of the first round, but I think the, the 20s are probably the worst-case scenario for Gregory. And, and is it a risk? Absolutely huge risk. Uh, he could very well flame out and you'd have egg all over your face, but I think the Bengals are in a pretty good position. They, they've quietly assembled a really nice roster, not only in terms of their starters, but pretty good depth. They have a lot of young talent. I think they can afford to take a chance on Gregory at this point. So, uh, Charlie, uh, what do you think about that pick? But I guess more specifically, what do you think the future holds for Gregory on draft day? And, and would you be inclined to, to still take him in the first round? Would he be off your board? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I think it's a great pick by Shane. I think it makes a lot of sense. And you're right, Scott, the Bengals have uh, given players second chances. They've taken guys with some issues off the field and worked with them. And overall, it's worked to their benefit. And they have a really talented roster. And if Andy Dalton plays a little better in January, who knows uh, how far this team could go uh, but I, I think that Gregory, this is a round where he's going to come off the board. And speaking with teams, I know they have other off-the-field issues, uh, concerns with Gregory aside from the positive drug tests that are really scaring off a few teams in terms of uh, is he going to be similar to Alden Smith or Brandon Marshall early in his career. And uh, teams are really unsure of what they're going to get with them, and that's why he's taking so many pre-draft visits all across the country. But I think the the Bengals and Steelers, the Cardinals, uh, this is really the, the part of the draft where Gregory will go. And I agree with you, Scott. I think he's the best pass rusher in the draft, hands down. And I think 
Uh, if he was clean off the field, he's an easy top five pick. All right, Charlie, you are up next at number 22 with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Shane's hometown team, so he's going to be paying extra close attention to your, your maneuver, maneuver here, and uh, you're, you're on the clock and you're under the gun. Well, I think that with the Steelers, you know, you, you have to look at uh, players that they've had in on pre-draft visits because the Steelers, as much as any team in the league, draft guys that they had in for a visit before the draft. And with Gregory gone, you know, you, you think of the big needs, our cornerback and edge rusher. You could consider a safety with Palomalu retiring but I think the they from what I've heard they have, they like some of their safeties in house. So I think that's going to come down to a corner or a pass rusher. And I think with just the players available, the Steelers would go with Eli Harold in this situation, the pass rusher out of Virginia. Give them someone to pair with Jarvis Jones. I mean they don't know for certain that Jarvis Jones is going to pan out. And Jason Worlds retired, and James Harrison is, uh, you know, he's getting up there. He almost has a, a Thoris after his name. So I think that with his age and uh, with the need uh, to have some pass rushers and have some options there, that Eli Harold makes the most sense for the Steelers. Shane, I'm going to give you f- first word on that pick for the Steelers. I, I think Charlie's thinking is is very correct in, in what the Steelers do, that they bring in guys for pre-draft visits. That's generally who they draft. Um, I, I think the, the fans here, if Landon Collins was sitting there at the Steelers' pass, would, would be pretty upset. But I, I think they do like Shamarco Thomas and think he's going to take over for Troy Palomalu. And pass rusher is such a huge glaring hole for them that they have to address it early uh, because, uh, because as, as Charlie said, Jarvis Jones just hasn't worked out. So I'm not the biggest Eli Harold fan, but I could see the Steelers liking him. I think he's a little bit safer of a player. You know what you're getting out of him, and he does fit the system really well. Um, And cornerback, the value might be there in the second round, and they've never been a proponent of early corners. You know, it might be forced into it this year. So so I I, I don't love the player, but I think the position is right, and I think they very easily could make this pick, so it's a good one. Yeah, and and this is kind of no man's land for those pass rushers. Like I said, they're going to come off the board early and often, and, and then there's kind of a, a, a little gap here. And, and this is why I made the argument why the Saints, I think they have to grab one at 13 while they have the chance, because I'm not so sure there's going to be value by the time the 31st pick rolls around. So um, value-wise, is, is, would Harold be my perfect fit? Probably not, but he's probably the best of, of the options at pass rusher. And, and it's not like there's going to be more pass rushers on the board a round from now or two rounds from now. Everybody's always looking for pass rushers. So, um, and, and like Charlie said, they have a huge, huge need at the position. So, so uh, I, I could definitely see them going that route. Otherwise, like Shane said, Landon Collins would be a, a good replacement for Troy Palomalu, too. I'm up next at number 23 with the Detroit Lions, and I, I hate to make a chalk pick here. I, I'd like to go against the grain, but, I, I mean, it just makes so much sense. Malcolm Brown, defensive tackle from Texas. They need to replace Ndamukong Sue. Granted, they traded for Haloti Nata, but I think he only has a year left on his contract. He's well into his 30s now, so... I just think Malcolm Brown is a perfect fit for the Detroit Lions. And, and Brown is another player that I wouldn't be shocked if he went off the board a little earlier than expected just because a really good all-around player. Um, he, he's shown he can he can make an impact in the backfield. He can play multiple positions and schemes. I, I think Malcolm Brown would just be not only a, a, a good fit at this point for the Detroit Lions at number 23, but, but also a really good value. Shane? Great. 
it's a great pick. He's a phenomenal player. I think he should go even higher than this. Maybe he will, but sometimes it's tough to fit in those bigger defensive tackles and get a team fit. If he's sitting there for Detroit, I think you take him and, and the reload of what they just lost. And, and I think defensive tackle is a position we could see some prizes at. Uh, maybe see one or two more go in the first round than we expected. Mm-hmm. Maybe see one or two guys go off, er, come off the board earlier than expected just because it's such a valuable position. I think historically, you look at the NFL draft, there's usually quite a few defensive tackles in the first round. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on the Detroit Lions, Malcolm Brown, the defensive tackle position, any or all of the above? Yeah, I think that that would be a great pick for them. I think that he would give them some interior pass rush and what they lost from Sue and Fairley. And uh, and also he has the ability to be very versatile, so you can play him as a 3-4 nose, as a 4-3 nose, as a 4-3-3 technique. So he really gives them options up front for how they're going to use him with Nada and in the long run as well in terms of what scheme they want to run. So I think Brown would be an excellent pick. And also the way this mock has kind of played out, you have Eddie Goldman, Brown, uh, Jordan Phillips, all still there. So if there's a deal where the Lions can move down and get another pick, I think that would be uh, a nice route to go for Detroit because they have other needs that they could stand to fill and having an extra pick to go after the offensive line and running back and maybe a second defensive tackle I think would be really uh, a nice draft haul for Detroit. All right, Shane, you're up at number 24 with the Arizona Cardinals and a little bit of a tough spot because I think uh, the the conventional wisdom is Gurley or Gordon there, but they're both off the board, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what direction you go for the Cardinals. It, it is tough with with uh, Gerling Gordon off the board because I think that that would be um, would be ideal for Arizona to to end up with one of those running backs. They've shown interest in those guys. They're gone, and I don't think they're going to reach for running back. So that really turns me to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think the only other thing in offense might be offensive line. Maybe Cameron Irving at center. They did sign EQ Shipley. It just depends on the confidence level in him. So I think I thought I really thought about Irving. Uh, but I think I'm going to move away from that and look to the defense. They need pass rushers, as we just established. Not really great value here for them. So I think secondary is a big problem. After Patrick Peterson, I mean, that secondary got torched again and again last season. I don't think Gerard Powers is an ideal number two corner, and they don't have much in the ways of, of corners after Peterson. So this is and this, this kind of second-tier cornerbacks this is the place. I think you have a lot of possibilities. Uh, Kevin Johnson out of Wake Forest, Jalen Collins out of LSU. But, uh, you know, there's one guy that they brought in for a private workout. They've shown a lot of interest in. I think it's a player that's going to go higher than a lot of people think is Byron Jones, the cornerback out of UConn. So I'm going to pick him here. They have also had Kevin Johnson in for a workout. I think it could be either of these two players. I have Johnson a little bit higher, but with the way that the, the Cardinals run their scheme, Jones can play that, that press coverage. I, th- I think even though there's been some safety talk. I think he's going to get a try out at cornerback. And the Cardinals seem to swing for the fences more often than not with a lot of their picks recently. And Byron Jones is definitely that. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, uh, of course, they lost Antonio Cromartie in free agency. And, and, and we've heard Bruce Arians talk up Gerard Powers, who he's got a, a long history with. But at the same time, I remember a few years ago, by the way Bruce Arians talked about Levi Brown, you'd think, you'd think he would have been the second coming of John Ogden. And, of course, Levi Brown was awful, as everybody else knew beforehand. So I don't know how much uh, stock we could put into to, uh, Bruce Arians' comments in the offseason. Uh, I, I definitely think that's an area that they're going to be looking to address. And, and like you say, Shane, I mean, it's, it, this is about the range where we're going to see that second tier of corners start coming off the board probably, um, it, it, a run on them at least. It's just a matter of who's it going to be. And, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's Byron Jones. I have him in the first round of my latest mock. And, and I think there's a misconception out there that he's just shot up the board based on these incredible workouts. Has that helped? Sure. I mean, anytime you work out like he did, uh, it, it's going to open eyes. But he was always considered a legitimate day two talent uh he was just flying under the radar a little bit because he had that season ending injury wasn't able to go to the the senior bowl but um i i think byron jones has a very good shot at going late in the first round and i think corners the need for the cardinals charlie your thoughts yeah i i agree i think that uh that that corner would really make sense considering they lost cromartie uh, and they need a running mate for patrick peterson so i think jones kevin johnson would really fit well here. I think also a pass rusher, uh, if there was one of the guys available like Randy Gregory or Eli Harold, they had Gregory into Arizona recently. So I think those are the options that are really in play for the Cardinals, but I, I think the corner pick really makes a lot of sense. All right, Charlie, you are on the clock next at number 25 with the Carolina Panthers. Well, in this, I think the draft, this, has really played out well for Carolina because they have two tackle options here available and Andrus Pete from Stanford and DJ Humphreys from Florida. I think that they would go with Pete in this situation. And the reason is I think that Pete, uh, for one, he's displayed more durability, whereas Humphreys had a lot of injury issues in college. And I think just looking at the way uh, Dave Gettleman has drafted the past few years with the Panthers, he's favored guys that are bigger at their position and provide more of a physicality edge uh, and mismatch potential with uh, Starlu Tulele in his first draft and then Kelvin Benjamin last year. And I think that speaks more to Pete and giving Cam Newton a big left tackle with some length and strength, a guy they can run behind as well. So I think the way this draft has played out, the Panthers would be happy to take Pete. Yeah, I think this would be a really good situation for the Panthers to not only have one of those two guys you mentioned on the board with Pete and Humphreys, but both of them. And and Andrews Pete, to me, he could very easily be the most talented blocker in this class. I think he has that type of upside, but I don't know about you, Charlie. For me, the, my bust alarm is going off a little bit on Andrus Pete. I, I think he's a risk. Uh, he's just off balance and on the ground a little too much for my taste. Now, he's got all the physical tools in the world, and if you can maximize that potential, he's probably a top five, certainly top ten overall type of talent, but just wasn't as dominant as I had hoped for on the tape. I'm just wondering if you got that same feel with Pete, or do you think he's a steal at this point? What are your thoughts on Andrews Pete? Yeah, I agree with you. I was actually more excited about him uh, a year ago and what he did as a sophomore compared to how he played as a junior. 
And, you know, the line for Stanford overall wasn't quite as good when they lost Yankee and others, but uh, I, I agree with you. Pete has a ton of potential, but there is risk there. Is he going to be able to put it all together? You know, he needs to stop being so much of a reacher and kind of work on his ability to mirror and handle speed rushers as well because you see it in flashes, but the consistency isn't quite there yet. You know, Nate Orchard had a pretty nice game going against him last year. And I think that uh, he's going to need some work at the NFL. But I think the way that Gettleman has drafted, I think that he's just kind of a fit for what Carolina looks to get in their first-round pick. And honestly, Pete is one of those guys that the more I watched him, the less enthused I was. Now, Shane, I'm interested to ask you about this, because last year we saw the Panthers neglect the offensive tackle position, not only in the first round, but all throughout, and I think it came back to bite them. They had huge issues up front. Cam Newton's been hit, I think, almost twice as much as any other quarterback in recent years. I mean, but now I see them working out guys like Rashad Perriman and Nelson Aguilar. Is there a chance they neglect this offensive tackle position again and set Cam Newton up to take another beating? Because, boy, after what's happened to him in the past few years, I don't know if he can withstand another season like he just went through. Uh, do you think there's a chance they go wide out instead of a blocker here? Absolutely a chance. <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's the crazy thing. It's absolutely a chance of that. Uh, I, I think wide receiver, obviously taking Kelvin Benjamin in the first round last year, it's obviously a position that they've, Dave Gettleman uh, wants to get right and get Newton those weapons, and maybe he's more concerned of that than the offensive line. So I think they neglect the offensive tackle position completely. I would hope not, uh, and I would think that they, they would at least spend some pick. But I think first round, if if they could take one of these second-tier wide receivers instead and, and feel like, hey, we want to get two very strong receiving options for Cam Newton and, and he can run around and find his own way. <laughs> All right, I'm up next at number 26 with the Baltimore Ravens. And, and normally, Ozzie Newsom would be sitting back waiting for Marcus Peters, uh, Randy Gregory, Doriel Green-Beckham to fall into his lap. But I think the Ravens... I think that's just untenable for them this year. I don't think it's feasible for them to go with a player with character concerns considering what they just went through with Ray Rice, and they're still kind of uh, suffering from the ramifications of uh, ramifications of that entire instance. So I think the Ravens are going to probably have to go maybe a little away from what they normally might do here. Uh, and, and wide receiver is tempting after losing Torrey Smith and Steve Smith, I don't know how he keeps going like he is, but uh, the father time is going to catch up eventually. So they desperately need a receiver. But I just think there's going to be a receiver, a good pass catcher available at the back end of round two. And that was one thing that struck me while I was working on my most recent mock is, boy, teams were getting players in late round two that I thought they might consider in late round one. So for, so there's going to be value, especially at wideout, I think. So I'm going to go with Kevin Johnson, the cornerback from Wake Forest for Baltimore here, and and I'm not even sure he's going to last this long. I think there's a lot of potential landing spots for him in that that latter third of the first round, but uh, Jimmy Smith only has one year left on his contract. He's going to be a very attractive free agent next offseason, and and the depth is severely lacking. So uh, I I think uh, the Ravens are going to go with Kevin Johnson here. Uh, Shane, what are your thoughts on that choice? I think it's a great pick. I agree with you. He could be gone by this point. I think there's a lot of teams that could consider him uh, higher than the Cardinals, the Steelers, uh, et cetera. Maybe even he sneaks in the top 20. I think he's a really good player 
on a really crappy team, and he he was he was near dominant in a lot of games the, this this past season. So maybe he gets overlooked a little bit because of Wake Forest, but I think he's phenomenal. And um, this this honestly might be kind of his his floor. Maybe thirty with the Packers is is kind of his floor. Charlie, what's your take on the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, looking at Ozzie's draft history, he tends to lean towards the defense. And, you know, he really hasn't uh, favored first-round wide receivers and is taking more of those uh, skill position players on the second day of the draft. And they have a tendency to draft for defense. And cornerback is very thin outside of Jimmy Smith and like you said he's going to be a prize free agent a year from now so uh, I think Kevin Johnson makes a lot of sense because even if you do bring him back that gives them two strong corners on the outside and considering the age of their pass rushers you know it makes sense for them to build up that secondary and be ready to cover guys just to give those pass rushers an extra second or two to get to the quarterback. Hey, Charlie, I know we're running a little bit long here, but there's something I want to get your thoughts on. I think one of the more interesting storylines of this draft is just how much character concerns are going to affect prospects in a post-Ray Rice world. This is the first draft since that really hit the fan with Ray Rice. Do you think it's going to have more of an effect than usual? Do you think it's going to be a case-by-case basis, or do you think we might see the, the, the Gregories, the Peters, the DGBs maybe slide further than expected, especially this year? How do you think that's going to impact the 2015 NFL draft, if at all? Well, I think the players that have uh, domestic violence issues are really going to get hurt by it. And I know a number of teams have uh, removed Doriel Green Beckham from their board um, and because of the multitude of incidents, including a domestic violence issue. I think uh, as we hit on with Gregory, if it's just a singular marijuana positive test with the new rules in place, I don't think that's really going to, you know, be a huge factor in pushing guys down. But I do think any kind of uh, violence issue is really going to hurt players this year. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if you see those guys slide uh, lower than expected going into the draft. All right, Shane, you're on the clock at number 27 with the Dallas Cowboys. What do you got for America's team? Dallas could they could reach for a running back here uh, with Gurley and Gordon gone. It kind of sucks for them, but I think they could reach for um, you know for someone like Kevin Coleman in the late first. I don't think they'll do that. I think this would be an instance where you look to the defensive side of the football and really two two kind of glaring holes. You could go with uh, with, with the defensive line, with the pass rusher. Um, I would consider Eli Harold, he's gone. Uh, maybe you could go with, with the secondary. And with Kevin Johnson gone, with Byron Jones gone, I, I think there's one player that kind of stands out that they brought that uh, I think they'd be really interested in and brought in for a private workout. So I'm going to take Jalen Collins. Defensive back from LSU, kind of an upside pick, can play corner, can play safety, and uh, I think he would be an ideal fit for the Cowboys defense. Yeah, and that cornerback for the Cowboys seems to be uh, a line of thought that's gaining some momentum here as the draft approaches. And and the, the cupboard isn't bare, but they definitely have question marks at the position. I, I, I'm still, I mean, if I were running the team, I don't know that that would be my first round priority. 
uh, I guess I would personally lean more towards that defensive line. I think there should be some pretty good options available here if they wanted to go that direction. But but like I say, I think that we're doing this based on what we think the teams will do, not necessarily what we think they should do. And, and in this instance, I think the Cowboys are going to be looking at the corners, and, and this is right around that range we see where there's going to be a run on those second tier of cover guys. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cowboys went in that direction. Charlie, what's your read on Dallas and what they might do at 27? They're a really tough read for me because if you look at uh, Rod Marinelli's history um, with the Cowboys, the Bears, the Lions, the Buccaneers uh, going back 20 years, he's never been part of a team that drafted a cornerback in the first round. But Jerry Jones uh, has drafted corners in the first round. And I think that, you know, with the passing-driven NFL being what it is, uh, I don't think that Marinelli would just rule a cornerback out in the first round at all. So I think that really this this will come down to kind of the best player available at either defensive line or corner. I think they would love to get Malcolm Brown if uh, if they can't get one of the running backs, but he's off the board. And I'm not sure that Goldman or – uh, Jordan Phillips are really a great fit for Marinelli, so uh, I could see them targeting a defensive tackle in the second round more along the lines of Michael Bennett from Ohio State. So with that being the case, I, I, I definitely see where Shane's going with it, and I think uh, Collins could be a fit for them as a big corner that could play zone and also man. And I think the Cowboys could be a potential trade team. Um, and, and of course, yep. they've been linked to Adrian Peterson. But I think they could trade down and still get an, a good corner or running back uh, early in the second round. So I'd watch out for the Dallas Cowboys. I think Jerry Jones kind of likes the idea of maneuvering around and showing everybody how smart he is on draft day. So there might be an opportunity for him to do that there. Uh, Charlie, you're up next at number 28 with the Denver Broncos. You know, and this is a tough pick because I, I personally – would probably take Eric Kendricks. Uh, But I think what they will do would be go with D.J. Humphreys from Florida. I think, uh, you know, this is kind of a last hurrah for Peyton Manning coming up this season. He doesn't have a lot of football left. And I think for them to make a run, you got to keep him upright. Uh, he has to stay healthy. They've lost some offensive linemen with Orlando Franklin this year. Humphreys has versatile size where you could move him inside if, uh, if that gives you the best five up front or play him at right tackle. And considering he's an athletic, quick left tackle with the amount they pass the ball with Manning, it almost makes sense to have two left tackle types uh, for Denver. So, uh, with the draft playing out this way, I think D.J. Humphreys would be the pick for the Broncos. I definitely concur the Broncos are going to be looking for the best available offensive tackle at 28. Uh, I mean, when you have as much riding on your quarterback as the Denver Broncos do, you simply must protect him. And, and whether it's uh, Andrews Pete, D.J. Humphreys, T.J. Clemmings, Jake Fisher, Donovan yep. Smith, Cedric Abui, whoever you want to make a case for, I think it's going to be an offensive tackle. It's just a matter of, of what their preference is. But I think Humphreys is the, the value at this point. Uh, so I, I concur with that. Uh, Shane, your thoughts on that pick? Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm with you. I think they're going to take an offensive tackle. I probably would have went Cedric Abui here, but um, I, I think both those guys, Humphreys and Abui, have upside, have downside. And they're kind of in this spot where they're going to have to – 
go to that next tier of offensive tackle if they want one. All right, I'm up next at number 29 with the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm looking at two players here. I'm either looking at Florida State center Cameron Irving, because the Colts started three different centers last year, which means they probably don't have the long-term solution. I think Irving would make a ton of sense, but also Landon Collins, the safety from Alabama, fell into their laps. Now, they could arguably use a free safety more than a strong safety, but let's face it, Mike Adams is 34 years old. He isn't the long-term solution, and um, so... I wouldn't be shocked if they went with Demarius Randall from Arizona State here. I think he's kind of emerges as the top free safety prospect in this draft, and I think he's going to be in the late first-round discussion. But I'm going to go with Landon Collins from Alabama here. I think he's the best fit in terms of value and need, although I wouldn't be shocked if they went with Randall or Irving. Uh, I'm going with Landon Collins, who I'm personally a fan of as well. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on that choice? Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think, you know, the Colts need – to uh, solidify that middle of the field and the back end. I think Collins does that and helps them in the pass game, but also in the run game. I think, you know, when you think back to uh, Bob Sanders and what he did as a run defender for the Colts, I think that Collins could have that same kind of impact uh, going downhill towards the line of scrimmage and making a lot of tackles and helping the inside linebackers as Dequell Jackson's play looked like it kind of slipped a bit last year. And having Collins as that eighth man in the box, I think will really help their run defense and he'll also help their pass coverage. So I think that that's a great fit for the Colts. Shane, your thoughts on Landon Collins to Indy? I like it. I think Landon Collins has gone from being overrated to being underrated, to be honest. Uh, I still think he's a really good player who can play in the box. I think he's a player that has a little more coverage ability than people give him credit for. Is he going to be super dynamic there? No. But the, the Colts play up to the line of scrimmage a lot, so I think you can you can move your safeties around and, and try to confuse the defense. I think, I think Collins would be an awesome pick if he falls this far today. All right, Shane, you are up next at the 30 for the Green Bay Packers. You got a second there to get yourself in the mindset of Ted Thompson. Where do you think the Chiefs go? I don't know if anyone can get in the mindset of Ted Thompson, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I, I think this is a, t- a little tough board for the Green Bay Packers. I think cornerback is probably one of the high priorities for them. Um, as they're, they're, you know, they're pretty thin. They have some good players in Casey Hayward, Sam Shields, Micah Hyde, but they could really use the starter. So if a guy like Kevin Johnson was there, even even a Byron Jones, I think they'd, they'd look pretty hard at them. Um, so I think I'm going to tor- turn – to maybe taking the first inside linebacker off the board. And I'm not sure if one will go in the first round because I think there's a lot. But if you're the Packers who uh, you want to take players that fit your scheme and there's probably not going to be – there might not be one of these guys, uh, Eric Kendricks or Stephon Anthony or any of these players available in the second um, that you want – I think you got to take it here. So I think I'm going to swing for the fences a little bit more with, with this one and go with Eric Kendricks, linebacker out of UCLA. I think he's a little more dynamic. I think he fits the Packers a little better than, say, a Stephon Anthony. And uh, ultimately, I, I could see him really fitting in there at inside linebacker. I like that fit, too, uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, but especially because what's value is going to be left at the back end of round two if they don't go that direction, even though there isn't an inside linebacker off the board at this point. Uh, on average, over the last decade, there's just under five inside linebackers taking the top 100. I really believe we could see five of them come off the board between 30 and 50 this year. So uh, this is right about where that run's going to start, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Green Bay Packers started it. 
Um, and, and whether it be Kendricks or uh, Denzel Perriman from Miami, Stephon Anthony from Clemson, I think inside linebacker is a very viable option for them because they parted ways with A.J. Hawk, they parted ways with D.D. Ladmore, they parted ways with Brad Jones. They're, they're very much rebuilding at that position, and, and they could have their pick of the litter. So I like the choice. Charlie? Yeah, I love it. I think that Kendricks would be perfect for Green Bay, and I, I think they've needed that run-and-chase linebacker in the middle of the field for a few years now, and I think that he brings that to them. I mean, he was a tackling machine at UCLA. He can go sideline to sideline, but he also makes plays and pass coverage, uh, has some ability to – to uh, be a spy and, and help with those mobile quarterbacks that have hurt Green Bay in January, specifically Colin Kaepernick. So I think that uh, that Kendricks would be a great pick for Green Bay, and if he gets there, I'd be surprised if they passed on him. And I think cornerback is a need for Green Bay, too. But historically, you look at what Ted Thompson's done at the position. He really hasn't made first-round investments in cornerbacks. He's been able to get uh guys further down the line, whether it be Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, Devon House, second, third, fourth round picks. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ted Thompson is thinking along those lines again at the position. Uh, Charlie, you're up next at number 31 with the New Orleans Saints, the, the pick acquired from the Seattle Seahawks, basically in, uh, along with Max Unger in exchange for Jimmy Graham. So when you give up Jimmy Graham, you better make this pick count, I bet, huh? Yeah, and I mean, this is really uh, a tough pick uh, for me because I was really thinking of uh, Jalen Collins with this pick, but he went off the board to Dallas. So uh, Marcus Peters also is gone, along with Kevin Johnson, Byron Jones. So we've had a run at corners, and I'm not really sure the value is there uh, for them. And to I should mention the Saints. Uh, sorry to butt in. I just should mention the Saints yeah. took Shane Ray at number 13 overall. Yeah, definitely, and. Uh, you know, elsewhere, I mean, they they needed a center, but not after the uh, Jimmy Graham trade, so that kind of rules out Cameron Irving. Uh, they don't really need a nose tackle, so Eddie Goldman and Jordan Phillips are gone, uh, wouldn't really be in play for them. I think they could consider a wide receiver um, like Philip Dorsett, but they took Brandon Cooks last year, so I don't know if you really go – with that and back-to-back drafts, but uh, I, I'm going to lean towards the cornerback position and have them take Ronald Darby, uh, the Florida State cornerback, gives them another cover corner, a guy that can prevent separation and give those pass rushers more time to get to the quarterback. Yeah, you're right. This is kind of a tough spot because I think the Saints have probably as many options as any team in this draft. They've got five picks in the top two and a half rounds, basically. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, I think we can identify the needs. It's just a matter of what order they're going to address them in. And I think that's kind of anybody's guess. And we might not uh, know until, and they might not know until they're actually on the board. But I think uh, certainly pass rush is a priority. They need to bring in a cornerback. They need to bring in another interior blocker. They need a wide receiver. Uh, maybe even an inside linebacker. You've heard them connected to Stephon Anthony from Clemson, so maybe they uh, continue the yep. the run on uh, inside backers that Ted Thompson, the Packers, started. But I could very easily see them going any of those directions. I don't know about Darby. I'm not completely sold on Darby. I'm not quite as high on him as some. Um, but but the, the value of corner, we, we've already had a run, so it's, it's already waning to a certain degree. So I, I guess I could make a case for Darby as well as any, any other corner uh, that, that's still on the board at this point. Uh, Shane, what are your thoughts? 
I, I think I think the two Florida State corners are the best left, so if they're going to go that direction, I can't fault uh, Darby. Uh, but I, I, mean, I have trouble seeing him going that high. I, I don't know if they, if they if they opt for a tight end replacement. I do think they like Josh Hill, or I think inside linebacker is a possibility. We could see a couple of these guys, maybe Stephon Anthony, go off the board. So not the biggest fan of the Darby pick, but I think the position is one they need to address. If Jalen Collins was sitting there, I agree with you, Charlie, and I think that could be a slam dunk pick. All right, I am up last with number 32, the New England Patriots, and, and another team that has a huge question mark at the cornerback position after losing both Darrell Rivas and Brandon Browner this offseason. But I just don't know if I love the value at this point. I think if Byron Jones was, was here, I think he's a guy the, the, the Patriots are interested in. But I think at this point it might be better off to hold off and, and try to shoot for a cover guy in the, the back end of the second round uh, since we've already had the, this run on the second tier of, of cover guys. So, um, so I'm going to turn my attention towards the defensive line here. Um, and of course, they parted ways with Vince Wilfork. They've kind of rebuilt, been rebuilding that front seven in recent years. I'm going to go with Eric Armstead, the defensive line from Oregon. Of course, they employed his brother before he retired due to some uh, medical issues. But uh, I just think Armstead's the type of big, versatile, athletic lineman that Bill Belichick likes. He gives them a lot of options in terms of not only position, defensive end, or defensive tackle, but also scheme. 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, and, and he's pretty good value at this point. So I'm going to go with Eric Armstead, but I could make an argument also for Eddie Goldman, Carl Davis, uh, a, a bunch of other ones as well. But I, I think uh, I'm going to go with Armstead for the Patriots. Uh, your thoughts, Shane? I like it. I think it's a good spot for him kind of at the back end of the first round. You know, Patriots like versatile players. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic. Uh, I, I think I think he's a, a really, really good player for them. And the defensive line, even spending a pick last year on in the first round, still needs some work. And I think Armstead would be a great fit for them. Charlie, your take on the Patriots and that pick? Yeah, I think it's a great pick for them as well. I think and just getting a high upside player that gives Bill Belichick, you know, a, a great athlete uh, to work with. I think a similar pick was uh, with Chandler Jones, that outside linebacker a few years ago, and Armstead would fit that. I think uh, Eddie Goldman and Jordan Phillips both would be, you know, in play as possible replacements for uh, Vince Wilfork. And then, of course, the corners is a replacement for Revis, but with the uh, run we've had on corners here, which I think could be very realistic for the draft, there might not really be the value there for the Patriots to take one at the end of the first, and they'd get a better value with going a defensive lineman. So I think it makes a ton of sense. So th that's the first round. And before we close out, uh, I'd just like to get each of your takes on, on best player available. Is there anybody that wasn't selected that just blows your mind, that you're like, oh, that's not realistic, that guy's going to go in the first round? Is there any glaring mistake that you think we made? And, and I'll start. The, the only one that I would really make a passionate case for is Cameron Irving, the center from Florida State. Yeah. And there's my dog, uh chiming in she's one she wishes Cameron Irving had been chosen as well but but Irving's the only guy in fact I think he could maybe even go as early as the top 20 overall but uh, I, I think he's going to be in the first round somewhere but beyond that I mean there's some guys that I could see going in the first round uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't whether it be Eddie Goldman, Oumami Odigizua, uh, TJ Clemens, uh, Doriel Green Beckham uh, there's a lot of guys that I could see going but I think Irving's the only one that really stands out to me uh, Shane who's the best available on your board? 
you went first because you knew that was going to be the guy. Like that was that was the one guy. So well, my plan was I thought I was going to give you guys time to figure out who you wanted to take, but that was uh, the no, benefit I, that I got first pick. Yeah, it was obvious to me that I think I think it's Cameron Irving. I think Cameron Irving is going to go maybe even higher than anticipated, and maybe there are a couple times I should have taken him uh, with the team that he could go to. I think that was the big one. Um, I think we could see some more defensive linemen, Eddie Goldman uh, or or Mario Edwards, someone like that. But uh, ultimately, I, I think pretty good as a whole. Charlie, how about you? Is there anybody that stands out that's still available? Yeah, I, I agree with both of you that Cam Irving's kind of the, the standout among them. But I think also Philip Dorsett could end up going in the first round, a big play wide receiver. Uh, Eddie Goldman, Jordan Phillips, uh, you know, maybe Mario Edwards. I think those guys would, would also get some consideration. And then I think uh, as we kind of hit on in some of these late picks, some inside linebacker, uh, there could be another one that goes off the board and Stefan Anthony or Bernard Rick McKinney, you know, there's, there's a few guys there that I think that could be in play late in the first round. All right. So we went a little long, like we tend to do, but, uh, that was a fun show as always. But before we let Charlie go, uh, I want to give him a chance to let everybody know where they can read and follow his work, uh, both online on Twitter, et cetera. So Charlie, g- give us a plug. Yeah, definitely. I'm on WalterFootball.com. You can have tons of mock drafts and other draft content there, and you can follow me on Twitter at DraftCampbell. All right, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, I know it's a huge time commitment, but uh, really enjoy doing this, and thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, guys. I look forward to it every year. It's a lot of fun, and I think uh, you guys do a tremendous job, and it's always great to, uh, to talk with you. All right, and after two hours, we are going to call it a show. Uh, So with that, there are 12 days, one hour, 57 minutes, and six seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock.